1190 KVCU Boulder. It's Friday Night Live. I'm your host, Joe Paris, here with you in studio. With We've got a lot of people here tonight. Friday. Yeah, Friday. <laughs> this might be the greatest show we ever do, so take notes. Uh, at 630, <laughs> we're going to have Gary Barnett joining us via pre-recorded interview. Uh, he had to reschedule. He's a very busy man, so Andrew and him uh, caught up earlier today, so we'll play that at 6.30. It's a, it's a pretty lengthy interview. Uh, it, it's a lot of nuggets in there, though. I, I don't usually hear Barnett uh, do things like this, so you're really going to have a real treat here tonight, uh, as well as Brady Quinn, former Notre Dame quarterback and Fox Sports 1 analyst, will be calling in at 7.45. Uh, we're going to kick off the show, though. We'll introduce everyone, and then we will uh, jump into some basketball. We had Pac-12 Basketball Media Day this week. A lot of interesting things coming. Uh, a lot of interesting things coming out of that. Uh, something that I saw. I realized that this was actually the first losing season that Tad Boyle has had here. I uh, just just put two and two together this afternoon. So we'll talk about that. Joe. Thank you. Uh, let's go around the board, though. My goodness, we have, we have really brought together all the pilot pirate pirate lords it's like you know pirates of the caribbean 3 at the end where they just bring everyone together to have a good time and, <laughs> and fight the british navy except we're not going to fight the british navy anyway all right a trading company right Get so it, Be better it was also Be I, better, I try andrew i do what i can the best Anyways, Ryan Konisberg from BSN Buffs is here. Ryan, welcome back. What's up, guys? I, uh, I didn't bring my bowling ball this time. Sorry. And you're also not dressed in your usual garb. Your little little low-key outfit. Yeah. That's low okay. Low-key Friday. A little casual Friday action. You didn't dress for radio. It was casual Friday at my office, which is my apartment. Oh. It's just me there. You just worked. Yeah, I was going to ask, does BSN have an office? or it's We do, yeah. We do have an office in downtown Denver, but working from Boulder, there's not really a reason for me to go there much. All right. Uh, his BSN buddy and Radio 1190 contributor, Jake Shapiro, decked out in Canada's best. He's got a Montreal Expos hat, a Quebec Nordiques jersey, and he's also got a Toronto Blue Jays t-shirt on today. They what the hell, dude? <laughs> Joe, I just got to say, you know, as my as my buddy over here, Joe, you know, we're both big fans of Canada and everything Canada does. You know, that seventh inning of that Jays game Wednesday night, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it, and I can pro confidently say I've watched more baseball than anyone in this room. He Stop has. trying to talk baseball. Well, <laughs> we might get to baseball. That was actually, they're doing uh, tonight, actually, they're doing an hour-long special on FS1 on that seventh inning. So if for some reason you run out of what? things to do tonight, they're doing a 53-minute long special so on the seventh inning. So it's just that inning, they're just replaying <laughs> right. it, because that inning took about 53 Jeez. minutes. Rangers! Watch it! Oh, my God. Also joining us, my co-host every week, Andrew... Larry King Hobner. How's it going? I mean, I'm not in the suspenders, so I don't know if the Larry King moniker really fits anymore, but I'm great, Joseph. How are you? Oh, splintastic. Uh, splintastic? Whatever. Hey, by the way, I forgot <laughs> to mention, we featured Rob Ford, uh, for, former Toronto mayor Rob Ford on SportsMag this afternoon. That was the pinnacle of... Uh, that was the pinnacle of sports television <laughs> there. Oh, big, big shout-out to Slash Squash from Fox College Sports, who's tuned in tonight. Slash Squash is my man. He's my number one yeah. my number one guy. And also, making his Friday Night Live debut tonight, you probably recognize him from Wednesday nights. If not, here he is, Maton Baseball Halzel. I don't know if I know baseball the most in this room, though. That's that's what I'm hearing. Yeah, but that was your nickname in high school, Maton Baseball Halzel. Was it really? For, for a time. They Ga called you baseball. Game Face took over. Game face. He did, I like you know, that you one better. Game face. Mm -hmm. game face ball. Did, si did friend of the show Simon Kaufman give you that, or friend of the show Ari Grant? Uh, most likely Ari Grant. I'm I not think it was Ari. 
Because for a long time, they just called him Matan Baseball Halsell. Like, it, the whole thing. It was like John Michael Lyles. You couldn't. Uh, anyways. Okay, so 6.07 <laughs> p.m., Radio 1190, KVCU Boulder. Uh, Friday Night Live, make sure to send me your emails or your tweets, and we will uh, we will relay those questions uh, that you might have to Brady Quinn. Um we are going to play the George Barnett. Uh, George? Who? Uh, wow. Who? Who is George Barnett? Sorry. Get out. You're Sorry. Done. I'm taking Oh, my gosh. There. I got Rick George. I got. Jeez. Gary Barnett. Wow. wow. Sorry. 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 I was that thinking was about. Egregious. I was thinking about. I was thinking about Rick George from last week. I'm sorry. Bring back. Uh, you didn't build this station. Bring back the architect. <laughs> we want the architect. Hashtag. Hashtag the architect. <laughs> Gary Barnett. See, I was thinking if you were paying it. Oh, God, the All Buffs board is going to murder me on that. Oh, oh. We haven't started the thread yet, so you're oh, all right Oh, good. Now. All right. Well, at 6.30, Gary Barnett is going to join us via pre-recorded interview. Wow, George Barnett. You wonder, he probably has a brother. Maybe his dad. Maybe his dad. <laughs> his dad. Google search George Barnett for me. Anyways, let's talk a little basketball. Uh, basketball is right around the corner. Uh, oh, boy. The end of last year was one of the most disappointing Colorado sports seasons I've ever been a part of. It just, the whole year was a disaster. We all knew after Spencer Dinwiddie uh, wasn't coming back that there was going to be some holes, but I don't think any of us realized the, the depths of some of these holes. You mean you were disappointed watching them lose to Seattle University in a high school gym? Oh, my God, Ryan. It was painful. <laughs> it was it was such a cool start to the year with that 11 o'clock game. I went and saw Interstellar, came home and watched Colorado beat up on Auburn, and I was like, hey, this, this might actually be all right. And then it wasn't. So, anyways, uh... Pac-12 Media Day. Andrew, you and I uh, both talked about it at SportsMag last night. Is there a reason to be excited for this year? I think there's enough reason. Um, does this team hit the NCAA tournament? Eh. I'd say best cases bubble, um, but there's at least uh, there's at least some reason to believe that this team isn't going to be a, a, a below 500 team. But I think the bigger thing to look at is this team isn't going to lose the way that it did last year. At least I don't think. I think that a lot of the attitude, if you would let me finish, Joe. Sorry. <laughs> the sweeper kept playing. I think a lot of the attitude uh, of this team has kind of changed. I think that some of the bad attitudes um, and some of the schisms that happened in the locker room last year have since departed, and I think that there's um, a lot of players that have now bought into kind of what the new philosophy uh, is or what the rather Tad Boyle philosophy has been. Um, as for guys that have been in practice, I like Thomas Akizili a lot. Um, I think that, you know, Dom is going to be that number one point guard, and there's no doubt about that in my opinion. But uh, I think uh, Rodney Billups saying uh, about a week or two ago that Thomas Akizili brings as a freshman more energy than Dom did his freshman year uh, was a pretty interesting little tidbit. And I love the way that he distributes the ball. I love the way he passes. He's a very, you know, Euro-type guy. And I, I don't know. I, I, I'm hoping. I'm not jumping on the hype train yet, but I would really hope that this team can at least surprise a few people in a few games this year. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think the cat kind of came out of the bag yesterday that I'm just I'm not very high on this basketball team at all. Um, I, I think they have a lot of the, the same issues as they had last year, which is putting the ball in the bucket. Um, as they always say, this game is and always has been about buckets. And when you can't score, uh, you're not going to beat anyone, especially in this Pac-12 conference that is full of dudes who can put it in, put it in the basket. Uh, 
I think they will be improved offensively in terms of their chemistry. I think they, they'll move the ball a little bit better. Um, I think Josh Fortune is a nice piece to knock down some outside shooting. Uh, I think, obviously, Josh Scott is a great player, but you're just you're just absolutely going to see those long stretches where they can't score and for them to have any success this defense is going to have to be really really good mm -hmm. and i don't I, I it's just one of those things you have to see in a game before you can totally buy in because uh last year their defense was frankly pretty bad uh and none of the pieces they added are big defensive stoppers that are going to come in here and make an instant impact on defense so yeah you can you know talk about all the feel good stuff about chemistry and that sort of thing but when it comes down to it it's going to be about scoring and stopping the other team from scoring yeah. I mean, it's simple but uh, i just i don't quite have the faith in them to do that quite yet well you can go i was going well, i was going <laughs> to ask you know do you have more or less confidence coming into this year than you did last year because last year there was a lot of hmm. quote unquote sure things we knew that a ski booker was going to be here a lot of people thought we'd see a guy like dustin thomas or jerron hopkins have a breakout year josh got <laughs> one out yeah pour one out for the homie Jeez. doing federal time um, but Josh Scott also, everyone's like, oh, this maybe this is his breakout year. And then last year just didn't turn out the way anyone thought it did. But at the beginning of the year, there was a lot of things to be excited about. So considering that, looking into this year, do you feel better or worse than you did last year? I think it's just a different situation is the problem. I, th I think coming off the heels of, of the season that they had had prior where, you know, <clears throat> Spencer Dinwiddie went down, but there was still enough reason to believe that having had a month or two to get accustomed to life without Spencer, that they would be able to play without him. Um, you know, that team, while they did get blown out against Pitt, still did make the NCAA tournament, which is not, you know, not the biggest of feats, but also not a small one either. This scenario, you look at a team that no one, I don't think many people expect them to be a, a team that we expected them to be last year. And I think, frankly, for a lot of people, the writing was a little bit on the wall early on. You know, you, you had a skia bucker who some, you know, you, you kind of, you knew he wasn't the greatest leader on that team. And you knew that he wasn't going to be a uniting force. And he never had been in his time at CU. And then you started to hear the stuff that was coming out of the closed-door scrimmages where they weren't playing well together as a team. I think what we hear out of the scrimmages is going to be for me, uh, the benchmark as to where I think this team will end up this year. I still think you got to give uh, a big chance for them because this is the dawn of a new era. I think Ooh, since, that, era. since that dark day in Washington where Spencer Dinwiddie tore his ACL, I remember glancing at that TV, just watching the game casually, and then double-taking and just thinking, this can't be happening. It did happen. It hasn't been the same since then. It truly hasn't. But Askia Booker is now gone. And I feel like every other game we were questioning, is, is this guy taking good shots? Is he taking bad shots? Most of the time, he took a lot of bad shots. But if they had gone in, maybe they would have been good. But he's gone now. Dominic Collier is a totally different kind of point guard. He's not as aggressive as he is. He's a ball distributor. And he's I, a floor general. I agree with you 100%. But the thing that still comes to mind, no matter what, as Ryan started out the hour with, who's going who's gonna to put the ball in the basket? Now, you look down this roster and there's guys that name you know their names stick out and you think well maybe I mean Wes Gordon we've seen you know bright flashes but honestly he's been so underwhelming and Ski was that guy last year that put the ball in the basket better or for worse he was the only guy on the team that could consistently put the ball in the hoop it might have taken um, him 50 shots a game but you're right he was putting 
points in. Right. That was how they, that was their entire offense last year. And uh, you guys are questioning whether or not they're going to make the tournament. On Pac-12 uh, Media Day poll last night uh, that was released or was released earlier in the week that Colorado is picked to finish seventh in the Media Day poll. Last year they were picked to finish third. And this year, you know, people in the Pac-12 are kind of thinking six or seven Pac-12 teams are going to make the NCAA tournament. Well, for them to finish seventh, a lot of things need to happen right, and then a lot of other things need to happen right for them to even make the tournament after they finish seventh. So for them to be considered as a tournament that team this year, a lot of good things would need to happen for the Tad Boyle Buffaloes, uh, which, you know, I'm... I'm kind of one foot in, one foot out. I'm not completely sure my take on this team yet. You know, we got another month until we actually start playing, so I think I'm going to develop opinion then. But I think there's some good things on this team from last year that are, are going to develop this year, and there are some bad things. You know, I, I really do think Xavier Johnson, you know, for all of his faults, has a lot of talent in that he was going to be relied upon a lot this year. And Josh Scott is really the key to this team. As easy as that sounds, if Josh Scott plays like he did two years ago, this team's a better team than if Josh Scott plays like he did last year. I, that's simple as it is, but th that's the analysis. You know, Josh Scott needs to be the big man. Okay, but we saw how frustrated Josh got during the year when teams just, just keyed in on Josh. I think every single press conference, the first five, six home games was, oh, Josh was frustrated tonight. Well, he wasn't getting it going, blah, blah, blah. Well, the thing is, that's going to happen again. And you can't work on being frustrated in a game situation. You can sit there and practice and take reps. But when you're playing against your teammates, it's a lot different. And for Josh to get again, listed on such high award watch lists again, to me, it's like, what are you looking at from last year? I haven't seen anything from Josh since really his freshman year, the end of his freshman year that I was excited about. Yeah, I think the thing with Josh um, is it kind of reminds me a bit of Nelson Spruce. When a team looks at Colorado on paper, they're going to say, well, let's just take Josh Scott out of it. Who the heck else is going to beat us? Um, so Josh Scott is going to get berated with double teams. Um, today, Josh Scott was ranked by Sports Illustrated uh, the second that. best high volume, high efficiency player in the country. Well, the thing is, I don't know if his volume is going to be that high because other teams are going to want to just take him right out of the game. And as soon as they do, unless a guy like Josh Fortune just becomes a complete knockdown shooter out there where they can't afford to double him because it opens things up for him, uh, Josh Scott's real. I don't know if he's going to be able to get that much volume. Joe, you mentioned it. As soon as teams keyed in on him, you know, he became a different player. But teams really beat up on him, too. Well, he got and beat up down on the post by the big guys in the Pac-12. Right. There needs to be someone that takes the pressure off of Josh, but not only as putting the ball in the hoop and controlling the game, but taking the injuries away from Josh. Someone needs to have the ball in their hands more than Josh. Josh can't be relied upon as much as he was last year for this team's success to go. Enter Tory Miller. Tory Miller, yeah. I think, could take the, the quote-unquote abuse. I mean, look at that kid. He's a tree. It's, he can bang, yeah. He can bang, but my my issue with him is, is in his development and how far he's come along. I think a really big issue that this team had last year was they expected those that sophomore class to come up, and none of them did. And now they're all gone, and except now, for George King. Oh, everyone and, and, uh, and Trent Fletch, Fletcher, yeah. yeah. Um, 
and now George is kind of being viewed as this guy who could be in the starting five. I think John Rothstein of CBS uh, Sports reported that, that Tad Boyle told him George King is going to be in that starting five when it starts, which what? I thought was extremely confusing. I just don't know. I, it doesn't seem like Tad to me Would to, go that to small. hand someone, well, just to hand someone a starting job. Well, that's true, too. Um, and where and, and where else would you put him, too? I mean, I think people, a lot of people were thinking, okay, if George King is going to be the starter, where is he on that lineup? Is he is he starting in the three over Fletch, or is he going in the four over, over Wes Gordon? Which I, I've heard that George has improved immensely, but when we had Josh Scott on here a few weeks ago, he mentioned that the most improved player that he saw was Fletch. So... I, there, there's kind there's of a lot a, of different things. Yeah, you, there's a lot of moving pieces. There's a lot of different things you could do, but I will say, I, I've never, and it sounded so great when they recruited him. I, n- I've never thought Josh Scott and Wes Gordon looked good on the floor together. So, I mean, if you did put George at the four, um, that could be an interesting combo to try out. Yep. I think, uh, I think. George is going to be a nice player, but a lot of people, are, I think, are touting him a little too high. But we've seen in the Pac-12 that you need two big men to, to really compete in the conference. Arizona last year had two really good big men. Utah had two really good big men. Even going back to Stanford in the last couple of years, they've had two really good big men. And those are the teams that are successful in this conference that have two big men. So you need either Tory Miller to fit with Josh Scott and be consistent, or you need Wesley Gordon to figure out how to play with Josh Scott for this Buffalo's team to really you know, go above 500 and pack 12 play. I think it's the latter. I, I talked to Wes Gordon at least 10 times last year, and the first thing I told him every time is, kid, you don't know how talented you could be. And he is legitimately the anchor of this defense. Has he been the anchor... 100% of the time, no. He needs to do a job, and he needs he needs to do his job with more consistency. It's not Josh Scott's job to anchor that defense. When Wes Gordon goes off the court and Josh Scott stays on, it is. But Wes Gordon has so much potential, and they don't really completely mesh. I agree with you, Ryan, but if they're both really on their game, those are two studs down in the post. And when you got guys banging like Jacob Poldo from Utah and Arizona's new bigcomers that are coming in this year, it's going to be a long year of Wes Gordon. I think he's the X-factor of this team. Uh, well, speaking of X-factors, uh, we, we mentioned it in passing, I think, two weeks ago. Uh, obviously, everyone's heard that Xavier Johnson he has a torn Achilles, but now we're hearing word that he actually might get in at some time. Ryan or Jake might be able to shed a little bit more light on this. I think Jake was uh, who mentioned this a few weeks ago but if this team can count on Xavier Johnson maybe making a return during the year it's a completely different team than a team that says all right well we're at without XJ we got to figure it out on our own but even then he's ahead of timetable and he's not going to be coming back a hundred percent he's no, going to be coming not. back you know a less explosive player and what is it going to be the last six conference games and maybe the tournament at maximum that he comes back and you know you're looking at it at that point and it's like well, the only way the Buffs would really be able to get into the tournament if you're really relying upon Xavier Johnson is if they make a run in the Pac-12 tournament. So the, the impact he's going to make on the regular season is probably going to be minimal at best. 621 Radio 1190, KVCU Boulder. You're tuned into Friday Night Live. Joe Paris, Matan Elzell, Andrew Hobner, Jake Shapiro, and Ryan Konigsberg here with you on Friday night. Uh, we're going to have an interview from... Gary Barnett here at 6.30. George Barnett turns out as an English musician, so shout out to George Barnett. I wouldn't mind having him on. We had Derek Nash, the most legendary saxophonist of our time on this show during the CWA last year. It was really cool. Nice. So maybe we'll get more musicians in on the Friday Night Sports Show. Anyways, uh, also at 7.45, Brady Quinn, Fox Sports 1 analyst and former Notre Dame quarterback will be joining us via telephone. Hopefully our phone line will uh, keep going. We had some trouble having 
putting on Joe Aria during our election coverage on Wednesday. So hopefully the phone line goes through. But boys, 622. We're going to wrap up the basketball here the last eight minutes. Let's talk about Josh Fortune a little bit. Two years ago, we were on this show talking about, oh my goodness, we got Josh Fortune, big talent from the Big East. There's been a lot of time for this to simmer down and for people to maybe even forget about Josh Fortune. Uh, I think that really plays in his favor because I think there's a lot of hype when they said, well, wow, this guy's going to transfer to CU. First of all, though, this is a much different team. Second of all, where do you see Josh Fortune fitting in on this team? Is he the number one guy or is Dom Collier the number one guy? He's I mean, he's your shooting He's your shooting guard. Um, I don't know if he's your number one guy. Dom Collier is going to be handling the ball most of the time. Um, and the thing is, uh, which kind of transitions well into what I'm going to say about Josh Fortune, is that you don't want him handling the ball. Um, that's probably his biggest weakness is dribbling the ball um, and maybe defense a little bit, which is probably going to drive Tad Boyle a little bit crazy. But if you can work, you know, uh, a mixture of Dom getting in the paint and kicking it out and – Josh Scott being able to kind of take in the double teams and dish it out to Josh Fortune. If you're not asking him to do much with the ball, you're just asking him to knock down open shots. He can be a really legit player and a really legit scorer for this team. Um, I, people, I've seen people comparing him to a ski booker. If you throw Josh Fortune into the Askia Booker role, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Um, he is not the guy that you just, you know, kind of toss in the ball and everyone gets out of the way and you let him go to work. Um, he he needs his stuff. He can create a little bit, but he largely needs his shots to be created for him. Um, and, and I think I talk about puzzle pieces with this offense um, and just this team in general. They have a lot of puzzle pieces. If they can get it all to fit correctly, then their ceiling goes up a little bit. I'm just worried about all of those pieces fitting together uh, so so perfectly so quickly. So I, I kind of agree with that. And the, the funny thing is, when you when you mention Askia Booker in that role, I think it's really great that he isn't the Askia Booker type player because, like you said, man, Ski was the guy who he wanted the ball a lot of the time. And I think that was a huge problem with the offense last year was there wasn't really ever one person who you knew was going to be that primary ball handler. The coaches obviously wanted it run through Josh and run through Dom, but Ski just kind of was there, so he, he absorbed a lot of those touches. And and Josh is a guy who, yeah, he he doesn't necessarily create his own shot. He has a lot of his looks creative for him, which I think favors well in, in, in Boyle's motion offense. And the fact that we're kind of going back to tad ball, I think works out really well for this team as well. Uh, as well because... When you think about how this team tried to be more, you know, quote, offensive last year and all the George Carl, Boston College offense that managed to come into the fold, there, there was such a crazy, yeah, I mean, it was laughable. Um, now that we're back into, into tad ball of just kind of play D, hold on for dear life and, you know, grind out these, these close wins in the 50s and 60s, it works about better for a guy like Fortune who I think – can be a, a decent shooter, but I don't want him to be either being looked at too much or taking up too many touches. I think it just this is a good confluence of factors, if I would. But I think I, I think Ryan touched on it briefly there when he said if if they can mesh well together, specifically him and Dom, then some magic can really start to happen. That's true. And the only thing that's really holding me back from saying that this team can really accomplish just about anything in this conference is having so many of these new pieces 
and gosh, are they going to fit together? It's a lot of ifs. There's a lot of new pieces. Jerron Hopkins leaving and leaving that number two spot open, really a shame. He had a lot of athletic potential, just didn't fit the system. It was just a mutual agreement for him to leave. He was booty. But if Josh Fortune and Dominique Collier can really feed off of each other, then I see I see some real potential because they will open up the sh- uh, they will open up the lanes for each other. Dominic can create and he and he can do just about anything. If Josh Fortune gets settled into this offense and he starts just kind of learning the ways and learning the routes, Dominic can lead him to a pretty dang good year. I think when you talk about Tad Ball and that you know it's all fine and good talking about going back to that, but you have to remember when Tad Ball has been successful, they've had that defensive stopper. Whether it's Andre Robertson or Spencer Dinwiddie being able to really shut down the other team's best offensive threat, that's when Tad Ball works because you can take the a team's best player out of the game. Um, and George King kind of has the physical tools to do that, but uh, I'd be surprised to see him come into this year and just be that lockdown guy that Tad Ball, in quotes, really needs. Well, Xavier Johnson was that guy. And, and he could have been too, yeah. He's been slipping offensively these past couple of years, ever since his freshman year, pretty much. But to Defensively, he actually really improved, and he was that guy that could guard, you know, your star two, your star three on any other team, and now we don't have that luxury anymore. There's just so many ifs and so many question marks. We just keep going back and forth. What if this happens? What if this happens? We don't really have so much evidence of anything that we've, we know about this Buffs team. There's very little that we know about this Buffs team. And I really don't think that's a good thing. I, I, I thought this with the Rockies going into the year, um, that everything would need to go right for them to, to do well. And I thought this with the football team this year. I, I thought everything say, would like needed to go football. right exactly. for them to go well. And I, I personally, I'm just, I'm not buying into the hype of those teams anymore. I just, I can't jump in on a team that's like, okay, well, if this, this, and this develops, then this can happen. And I don't think, there's just so many factors that need to add together for this team to be able to contend with teams like Utah and Arizona. Right now, they're sitting in the middle of the Pac-12, and I think that's a little bit generous, too. Uh, They really just need to have someone step up this year and turn into a player that should be recruited by a school like Colorado. They have all these five-star, four-star, three-star guys that really can turn into a solid player or can turn into solid players, and none of them have turned into the player uh, that uh, Spencer Dinwiddie or uh, Andre Roberson or Corey Higgins or Alex Burks has been. You know, right now we have guys that are – you know, projects. question marks. They're, They're projects. projects, right. And it's brought in by Tad Bowles' recruiting style of a lot of athletic wings, and most of these athletic wings haven't turned out to be the dominating, you know, earth-shattering players that we thought they could be, uh, especially running a George Carl-like offense, because that they were recruited to run that type of offense. So maybe they can readjust their games and turn into dominating defensive pre- presences, because they do have the athletic tools to do that. You know, I think the one thing that we haven't really mentioned all that much is the fact that while Colorado went out and lost Jerron Hopkins, they lost Dustin Thomas, they kind of came late to the recruiting game, they got Akizili and Gazanich both pretty late, but those are guys that are decent players. The Pac-12 reloaded in terms of talent in the recruiting pool. I mean, Oregon State totally upgraded by by getting uh, Tress Tinkle, Stephen Thompson Jr. USC got a, got two or three solid players out of the ESPN 100. There's a lot of good players that came in. There's Utah a lot of good returns for their starters. Yeah, and there's a Cal, lot of good players Cal too. Cal and Cal Jalen Brown and Ivan Rab. There's there's just it's so deep this year that you're right. There's so many ifs and a lot has to go right. So, I'm not jumping on the train after football season. I'm a little gun shy now. <laughs> 
629 on Radio 1190 KVCU Bowler. You're tuning into Friday Night Live with an entire crew of people here. Ryan Conan, <laughs> Ryan Konisberg from BSN Denver, BSN Buffs. His associate, Jake Shapiro, who is a two-timer because he works for both of us. Andrew Hobner, who's... Like a bad... You make it sound like a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. It's a two-timer. Two-time, it's it's two-timer. Is it the jersey? It's the jersey, isn't it? I'm, I'm I have nothing wrong with the jersey. <laughs> I feel like he's... Oh, gosh. I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> I feel like he's two-timing America with all this Canada, well, Canada stuff yeah. he's wearing. That's true. Go Nordiques. Oh. Go Jays. See, you know what's go funny? I couldn't, even, I couldn't even do the Nordiques Joe Sackick sweater. I had to go with the hipster uh, Michel Goulet. Yeah, go uh, yeah, yeah, Frenchman. Just, yeah. All right, it's, it's 6.30. Andrew Hoffner's here, and so is Matan Alzo. All right, grab, <laughs> glad we got that out of the way. It is 6.30 right now. We're going to play the entire interview that Andrew had with uh, Gary Barnett earlier today. It's um, like 19 minutes. It's, it's really long, but Andrew and I had a, a brief uh, discussion that it's such a good interview that we really didn't want to cut anything out. And he took the time to talk to us for an extended uh, length of time. He's a very busy guy. He was in what? He was in Tennessee today? No, he was. So he was in Knoxville last week, and that's why he wasn't able to join us for the show. But the 1995 Northwestern Rose Bowl team that Barnett was the coach of is having their reunion this weekend for homecoming. So he is out in Chicago right now. I actually was able to catch him right after his luncheon with all the former players and coaches. So it was good that he found the time to be able to talk to us. And uh, yeah, If he's a busy guy, I want to know what his handicap is because – He's uh he's definitely getting some time out on the course. It, in quotes, well, busy. Of course they get time out on the course. You can like Butchagross is a busy guy, but he's probably a scratch golfer. <laughs> like, I think it would. I don't know. I really just want to play golf with Gary Barnett. That's my plug for that. Hashtag <laughs> Ryan wants to play with that Gary. That was the request. <laughs> okay, Radio 1190 KVC Bowler. Here's the interview. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna shut off our mics and we're gonna take a listen. But uh, make sure to keep the conversation going on all buffs on Twitter and send emails if you want to do that. Joe at Radio1190.org. So without further ado, here's Andrew Hobner talking with Gary Barnett. We're gonna turn into Radio 1190 KVC Bowler. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Radio 1190's edition of Friday Night Live. This is Andrew Hobner here with former University of Colorado head coach Gary Barnett. Mr. Barnett, how are you? I'm doing really well, Andrew. How are, how are things at the station? Uh, they're, they're pretty good. Um, you know, we're uh, trying to land the big fish these days, so uh, it was a pretty sweet get for us to uh, get you to come on. We appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. Look forward to it. So... You mentioned uh, right before we started recording that you are out with Northwestern uh, on this 95 Rose Bowl reunion. So can you talk a little bit about uh, how that is, just kind of seeing all those guys from uh, what was a, a really good time before you came to Colorado? Oh, yeah. It's it's a special group of guys, as you can imagine. I mean, we went to the first bowl game ever here in, uh, at Northwestern since 1949. So all these people have been wanting to go to a bowl game and for years and years and years finally got a chance to do it and uh you know it was um our fourth year and, and uh, we just slowly built a program of getting good kids in and just getting them you know we went through the ups and downs like everybody does and the deal like that but it really molded uh all of us into a really with a, to a really special bond and with a special bond and we're we're all close to this day so outside of the um I guess the reunion itself. Um, some of our fans want to know uh, what kind of stuff are you up to these days? Uh, Andrew, I do color. I'm a color analyst for a national radio network, so mm-hmm. I travel. Uh, I do all the five major conferences, usually a, always a team that's in the top ten. 
so I go to great venues. I get to see um, uh, probably the best players, and um, I travel to those locations and uh, do the game in person. And so, um, you know, that keeps me pretty busy. I do uh, some radio shows as a result of that around the country. I do one in Lincoln, Nebraska, one in Kansas City. I do one in St. Louis, and then uh, do a number of uh, requested shows. Uh, to stations that are doing college football programs uh, in their networking. So um, that's that's pretty much what I do. So based on the radio experience, you know, it was announced over the summer that you're going to be replacing Larry Zimmer in the KOA broadcast booth. You know, how does one prepare uh, for, for a job like that, replacing a guy that is kind of a, a legend around these parts? Well, I think, first of all, you, you can't – you don't ever replace Larry Zimmer. You know, you just get to sit in this chair, and uh, that, that's the way I'm going to approach. I'm going to approach it. Because Larry's had a, uh, a different perspective on things than what I'm going to bring. You know, I've been doing this for ten years now, and uh, I've been doing it in a in a neutral environment and an objective environment, and always from a coach's perspective. So, um, I, you know, I'm going to bring a different perspective to the booth than Larry would or a former player would. Uh, I'm going to bring a coach's perspective, and I, you know, I hope that's that's something that, that proves to be interesting and worth following to our fan base in Colorado. So, how do you think the reception's going to be when you step into that booth for the first time? <laughs> well, you know, there's, there's only going to be a couple of us in that booth, so that's not going to be a big deal. It's <laughs> it's what I say uh, in in broadcast arena. I think that it is the value. The, the evaluating tool. You know, I'm going to do the UCLA game in a couple of weeks uh, out at UCLA, and then I'm going to come back and do the uh, USC game on a Friday night, which will be Larry's last broadcast. Mm-hmm. And so I'll be, uh, you know, everybody get a chance to hear a little bit about how I'm going to be. And, and of course, I, I'm not going to know the players uh, this year as well as I'm going to know the players uh, in the years to come, or the at least the year to come. Uh, you know, the job I have now, I'm, I'm supposed to know both teams uh, equally well, but I shouldn't know any of them extremely well. And, and in this case, once you become a broadcaster as a, as a home broadcasting uh, team, you know, I'll, I'll know players inside and out and stories and those sort of things. And um, whether I'll be able to do that uh, quite as well this year as I will the next year, I, I would, would think that would be hard for me to do. But um, I will always bring the coach's perspective to it. Um, and, uh, you know, as, uh, I think the fine line the, and the line I've got to learn where it's drawn is, is uh, you know, how much of a uh, homer are you in these broadcasts and how objective are you in these broadcasts. So um, that's all down the road for me to discover and figure out how, how it all works. So a lot of fans, you know, you become a, a bit of a folk hero to some of the Colorado fans who, who long for those days of, uh, of top five, power five dominance. Um, when... You look at this Colorado program now. Have you kept up with it? What are some of the things that you see in this CU football team? Well, first of all, Mike McIntyre was was given a daunting task, and that was um, there was a big hole that had been dug. Uh, And uh, part of that was because of going to the Pac-12. Part of it was just the things that had happened. And so Mike's in a really deep hole, and he's got to, 
find a way to get him out of get himself out of there and the team out of there. And, you know, it's 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 deep enough to where it's not an easy process and it's not a, a one year or two year process and or probably not even a three year process. But you know, I, I think they've slowly made progress. I think that uh, right now what I see uh, from a distance, and, and I do go up there occasionally. But I, I think the skill level uh, at Colorado, for the most part, is in a competitive situation. I think the where they're not competitive is probably uh, on the front, on both sides of the ball, offensive line and defensive line. That seems to be the biggest difference that I see um, as I watch them play between them and their opponents. Um, and so it's just it's a matter of pro- it's a process now and time and uh, these things are not easily fixed. They don't get fixed over in a short period of time. And um, you know, patience uh, patience is can be four or five years, not one and two years, and it usually is. So, but I see them definitely making progress. I see. Uh, uh, I think. Uh, uh, you know, it looks like to me they're getting a little better in special teams in the beginning of the year. But uh, special teams has got to be coached like offense and defense, and it's just as important in any game, and that's got to be an asset to you, not a liability. So, um, it's true, definitely, and a lot of people have been kind of uh, worried about those special teams issues that have kind of plagued the team. But another thing that fans kind of worry a lot about is recruiting, and it's become a major criticism of this program and of, of Mac, Mike McIntyre and his tenure here. They cite a lack of you know power five talent and uh, a lack of depth that's kind of starting to show now. now. Why do you think that there is such a gap in recruiting? And as a coach, how hard is it to create those inroads that lead to pipelines that get you top players like uh, Craig Watts out of Florida who just committed to Colorado? Well, it's 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 usually relationships. Why there's a gap, um, you know, when, when you don't win, you haven't had a winning season for 10 years, um, you don't have a lot of the top players clamoring to go to those places. Unless there's a, a reason, uh, you, you know, uh, somebody in the family went to school there, they grew up in Colorado, they want to go there. That's just the way it is. So you have to be a, a very, very effective evaluator. That means you've got to get the guys who who um, uh, may not be on the first tier or the second tier, but you can see and see the potential that they are uh, a four- and a five-star rated player instead of just recruiting. So it's, you know, it's, I think it's a skill. It's a little bit of an art. It's a little bit of luck. A lot of it has to do with where you are. Uh, it's relationships being built by coaches in the, in the outlying areas, the recruiting areas. It's getting lucky on a player that ends up being a great player, and he has a buddy the next year that's from the same school that, uh, you know, that likes it. And so, I mean, all those things come into play. It's never one thing. And um, it, but it's very difficult to attract the better players. The other thing is you need, you know, you, you need a, um, a solid recruiting base. And when you live on the West Coast, you have solid recruiting bases. You've got numbers of players up and down the West Coast, in the state of California. Same thing in Texas. You've got a big recruiting base. You can get those guys on campus five and six times and unofficial visits, and they become familiar and they become comfortable. When you live in Colorado or you live in Nebraska, you know, it's unlikely that you're going to get uh, visits from uh, uh, unpaid visits uh, from kids in California. You know, they can't get on. They can't come out um, as, as often as they can walk down the street and watch a USC practice, et cetera. So 
uh, when, when you are in a situation where you got you can get the Colorado kids to come up and you can get familiar with them, but you need more than just your base of Colorado kids to do that. You know, you need to expand that base. So um, that that's that's a big problem there. Unofficial visits versus official visits. You know, it's you can't anymore rely on a kid just coming one trip and deciding that's where he's going to come to school because they get a chance to go to so many other places that are close to them unofficially and become comfortable in those uh, situations. So in year three, year three has kind of become something of a uh, a big tone setter here at Colorado, um, especially after uh, the John Embry coaching tenure and firing. Uh, and Coach Mack is in year three. He's got a lot of uh, skeptics right now. He had a good tenure when he was at San Jose State, turned the program around. In your year three at Northwestern, uh, you went 3-7-1 and one after two years of coaching Fort Lewis down in the Armac. Now, do you see any similarities in in how fans are, are kind of skeptics when you hit this year three, expecting there to be a turnaround in this third year? Um, yeah, I, you know, I think it depends on where you were. I was in a place at Northwestern. Um, you know, we didn't have the kind of scrutiny and we didn't have the kind of uh, expectations that you have at Colorado. So, you know, I was busy making my mistakes in those first three years and I could live through those without a lot of people being upset. Um, and, and so because of that, because I could quietly go about it, we were able to go about it and get it done in the fourth year. And I think that's we were a very unusual situation. But I think the fact that, that we were sort of under the radar, under everybody's radar, helped us. Um, at Colorado, you're never under the radar. Um, and, and so everybody's watching everything that, that Mike does and his coaches do. And, and so, it, it, believe it or not, all that scrutiny and expectation makes it harder to do it than easier. And so, uh, and you start feeling the pressure as a coach. And, you know, I think, think Mike's feeling it. I, you know, I think that's what caused this reaction uh, in the Oregon game. And so, um, you know, you never know. But they, year three, year he Mike's in a very deep hole. And trust me, three years – you need to show some progress, but you're not going to get out of that hole in three years. So do you think that that's kind of more of, of an indictment on, on the modern game where fans expect coaches to come in and, and make that change in a year, whereas in, in years past and decades past, coaches uh, you know, like Rick, Rich Brooks from Oregon can take 10 years as a middling program before he hits his nine and four year? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't think people understand. You know, Nick Saban didn't win a national championship until his eighth year. So, uh, and John Wooden didn't win, win one national championship in basketball until his fifteenth year. So, you know, understand history a little bit. But we're in a society that doesn't buy into that. But in reality, that's the way the world is, and that's the way the world of sports is. Um, so, yeah, you just got to fight through it, and you got to survive it, and you need enough people around you that have level heads and and uh, are voices of reason to support you and, and keep working at it. That's all you can do. There really is no other way to go about it. So one of our longtime listeners, uh, he had a question that he posed to you that I thought was pretty interesting and warranted asking. Now, the team is making a lot of mistakes in this, these games, and 
what the words are coming out of practice is, is that some of these mistakes are something that coaches aren't even seeing. Um, so what might be going on in, in the psyche of these kids? And is it frustrating as a coach to be in a situation like this where you see a mistake happen in a game from a player that you have never seen happen before? Is there anything a coach can do to stop that? Well, nothing directly, nothing instant that you can do. You know, it's a process. There are guys that are mistake guys. They make mistakes. You got, you know, you can't play guys that are mistake guys. Um, the, the other things you got to fix those things in practice. You got to prevent those things in practice as much as you can. Things are going to occur in a game that you have no way of controlling and no way of even ever even trying to predict could happen. It's no matter how, how long this game's been played, there's still things that are going to happen that haven't happened before. And it makes the uniqueness of the game. But, um, you know, it's there's a mental discipline uh, that has to be absorbed and uh, internalized by a team and uh, players and, and a staff and a program. And it's about uh, internalizing that mental discipline and toughness and it's more discipline than anything else that doesn't allow that. But it also is about being calm enough to work your way out of a problem and out of a mistake. And I think that's that's what gets lost sometimes is we're too quick to shoot the guy that's making the mistake and, and we know we need to get, you know, work it out. You know, give them some leeway to work it out. But it's, it's a complicated thing, but it all everything comes back to how you practice, how you teach, and who's who, and how you're learning. And you know, um, I would tell my team every single year, every team I've ever coached, is when the when the pupil's ready, the teacher will, teacher will appear. And so when you're ready to listen and you're ready to learn and absorb and buy into, there's going to be somebody here to teach you that stuff. But if you're not ready, you're not going to learn it. So you put the responsibility on the player that way and the team and the leadership. The leadership is so critical. Everything rises and falls with leadership. And that's true on a football team and in a football locker room. So when it comes to leadership, uh, we only got a, I'll only give you a couple more questions. But when it comes to leadership, uh, do you read into this idea that a sophomore running back who is not a part of Colorado's leadership council was the one that called this players-only meeting uh, this past weekend? You know, you, you got guys that you know are leaders the day they show up, and. Uh, you know, I believe in starting out as a freshman, teaching everybody how to be a good teammate, and then to start talking to them about leadership as a freshman. And then the next year, uh, what it's like to be a sophomore and a teammate. What's a sophomore teammate look like? What does a sophomore leader look like? And, and there's some guys you don't ever have to teach that to. They just have instincts about it. And my guess is Philip Lindsay is a guy that's really looked up to on that football team. And uh, if he goes to a meeting and everybody shows up, then that tells you something right there. So the final question that I have for you, you know, we've, we've talked about how you know, everyone is kind of quick to jump the gun and, and shoot the messenger and, and how there is a little bit of pressure around this Colorado football team. How close is CU to being, I wouldn't say back to being a world beater, but being a team that can at least compete in the Pac-12? And what does the team need to do, if not, to, to get to that spot? Well, how close, you never know really how close you are. It's, it's sort of like 
when you uh, pump water from a well, um, you know, and nothing comes up, and you can't see how far it is, how close it is to the top. All I know is if you stop pumping, the water goes all the way down to the bottom, and it might be it might be one pump away, it might be two pumps away. You don't ever know. So how close are there? I don't think anybody can really really tell you. Uh, it it. It, my experience is it's usually a special player, uh, a special leader, a special group. Uh, it's um, it, it's someone who can ignite the football team either with the way they lead or the way they play. Um, and, and then the other thing is it's consistency. Um, I mean, you, you, you have to be a team with, that has an identity, and you've got to be a team that's consistent. And, uh, you know, right now, I would say that, that we lack a little bit of identity, and we certainly lack consistency. So we got to keep pumping it until, you know, it gets created. Gary Barnett, former University of Colorado head coach, analyst for Sports USA Radio, and soon-to-be full-time analyst for 850KOA. We really appreciate you talking with us, and I'm sure our listeners are going to love this. All right. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Coach. We'll see you soon. All right. So that was Andrew Hobner interviewing Gary Barnett. Uh, he will be joining the 850 KOA Buffs booth uh, next season. End of this year, next season. That'll be exciting. Uh, wow. There's a lot to dissect there. Let's uh, let's get it going, boys. Well, I think the, uh, the really great thing, A, was the fact that he was willing to talk to us. Um, you know, this – we we do pride ourselves, Joe, on on getting and booking you know solid guests and and you know pseudo professional lineups. But sometimes it is hard to convince people that hey, we're you know CU's college radio station. Come on and talk to us. So to have a guy like uh, Gary Barnett or, or Rick George or Adam Neen or anyone else that we've had in the past is always a real or treat. Ryan Konigsberg. Ryan Konigsberg. Always, always a pleasure, Ryan. <laughs> um, but <laughs> but the nice the nice thing uh, is a having him. But b I really. I really liked a lot of what he had to say about um, kind of dissecting things from the coach's perspective the way he says he's going to try and bring that into the KOA booth Um, because a lot of questions have been coming up in the last two weeks surrounding some of the mistakes that have been made in these games and and why they're made and how you don't see these issues in practice and you see execution in practice but you don't see it in games and how you deal with that and how you look at that from the coach's perspective. I think that kind of thing for a fan to know is invaluable because there's very few chances, I can guarantee you, Coach Mack or any other active coach isn't really giving you much of that chance to kind of look into that psyche. And I think that's a really, really cool opportunity. And that was something that when I saw that on the All Buffs board, shout out to Snow for that question, I saw that and was like, I'm asking him that because that is one of those questions that any, not everybody can answer that. And it's just a perfect thing for him to talk about. And how big of a get is it for CU that you lose Larry Zimmer, and you just yeah. and you get and you get Gary Barnett? You know, there you could have gotten so mu- so much worse there. And it's just it's radio, it's color commentary, it's eight game, you know, fifteen games a year, whatever it is. And it has the potential to be some random guy, really. Instead, you get Gary Barnett. I think that's just so huge for the football program and CU in general, just to get Gary Barnett back in here and to, you know, Larry Zimmer's a legend, but you're not taking that far of a step down from Larry Zimmer to Gary Barnett because they're both legends in the community. Yeah, uh, Gary is definitely a huge get, and I think uh, Rick George was was pretty uh, adamant about getting him in. I think that's exciting for them to get him. Um, I like... 
his analogy there at the end about uh, kind of how you have to keep going and keep going because um, I'm always looking for new analogies on how close to you is. So one pump away, two pumps away. <laughs> that's, a, that's a new one that I can slide into my articles there. Yeah. Uh, and finally, well, speaking I really of articles, he mentioned Philip Lindsay during that uh, segment, and I I loved it. I think Phil Lindsay is the future of the backfield for Colorado. Phil of the future. Phil of the future. Oh my God! Oh, Somebody on. get on. Someone get on Photoshop and Bye do guys. it now. Uh, anyways, anyways, anyways. Uh, Ryan, let's. Uh, I mean. Let's talk about your article. I mean, you had a really cool article on BSN Buffs this week about Philip Lindsay. Yes, Gary Barnett obviously read my piece uh, about uh, Philip Lindsay really becoming the leader of this team, um, and I think it's starting to become obvious. Uh, I think Sefo Lufau is a, is a leader of this team in the sense that um, he, you know, he actually leads. He goes out there and he has to get the play calls in, and he's the one sitting on his back and taking the hits and getting right back up and in. He leads by example, but. Every team needs just that crazy vocal leader who will just fire everyone up. Uh, and Philip Lindsay was literally like, if any coach in the country could clone Philip Lindsay and put him on on their team, they would do it because that's the type of guy you have to have in a locker room to keep people focused and keep people fired up. And he leads by example too. You know, he'll, he'll play through anything. He'll go through a wall for his team. Yeah, and that that is. That's just what you need, and it's good to see him. It doesn't matter that he's a sophomore, and I think the Buffs are trying are starting to accept that. Uh, you like he calls a players only meeting. He goes in in after that game to ASU, and Nelson Spruce said it. It felt like a step back, and. Philip Lindsay goes in front of them and says, we are not going to do this crap anymore. We have to stop it. Um, I don't care that tomorrow's a day off. You're coming in before dinner, and we're going to talk this out. Yeah, I actually had a chance to talk to him and Michael Atkins a couple weeks ago. Joe, I don't know if you remember, at, at dinner. That's what we call yes, it. Yes, I remember. Um, and they're at, him and Michael are actually roommates, and they get along great. They talk about just about everything. But when Michael went down, it was, it was a shame for the football team, but it also bummed out Philip. And I talked to him right after he went down as well, and he just accepted that as, you know what, I'm going to go out and I'm just going to try to carry this team as far as I can and pump up these guys. And you all three have just said it. He is a great influence in the locker room. And he's just getting better and better on the field every week. And I think they're finally accepting uh, the fact that he needs the ball in his hands. I, I talked to a few people inside the program that think that he's going to get the ball uh, in his hands close upwards of 20 times this week. Um, one of those you things should. where they need to finally let him, uh, the way he's leading this team off the field, they need to give him a chance to put the team on his back on the field. Well, because he had 10 carries at ASU, and he did magnificent. He yeah. had two touchdowns on 10 carries. Well, and the other thing was, when you actually look at that tape play-by-play, drive-by-drive, when Phil Lindsay had the ball in his hands, those were the drives that the offense moved the ball down the field. Anytime they tried to hand the ball to uh, Christian Powell or tried to throw heavily on one drive and they kind of limited Phil's role or even just restricted or negated his carries completely, that's when the offense stalled. So Phil is a guy who he pushes this offense along, and it's something that I think Colorado really needs to acknowledge and realize. And when we talked to, to Brian Lindgren, um, not this past week, the week prior, um, on Monday after their loss to Oregon, you know, he said, we want to run the ball. We want to continue to do so. And I think now they're really starting to realize that that running game is where their bread and butter is going to be if they start to give high volumes of carries to a guy like Phil. 
And I know they were down in the game, but there's no way that Phil should only have nine carries and no oh, catches. Yeah. There's just no way. He's he's so explosive, and we talked about it on Monday, Joe and Andrew. Whenever he had the ball in his hands for an extended amount of time in a drive, the Buffs scored. Mm-hmm. They scored the two touchdowns. Uh, as both of him, uh, both of those touchdowns were his. But as soon as he got the ball in his hands, he made something happen. And Ryan saying that you know he's going to get the ball in his hands a lot more. That is something that needs to happen for this team to succeed this Saturday. And what was interesting, uh, especially that first drive, it was a thing of beauty. Uh, the it first was. drive that they scored on with Phil Lindsay. Because this wasn't your fancy schmancy running game. This was two tight ends, two wide receivers, um, and just handing the ball off to Phil Lindsay and letting him go. And that offense blocked beautifully out of that formation. I'd be interested to see if they go back to the two tight ends, um, having Cepho under center, and just handing the ball off to Phil Lindsay. Because for some reason, it really helped that offensive line click when they had the two tight ends mm-hmm. on the edge. Uh, I'd be interested to see if they go back to that well, I think this the week. two tight ends gives them a little bit. It shores uh, up their block. Well, gives them some comfort. They think, okay, we've got two extra guys on this formation that we know are blocking. The defense doesn't know if they're going to go out or if they're going to stay. And when they know that they're going to have a little support, because what is the thing we've said the last three years? Quarterback doesn't have time. It doesn't matter who the quarterback was. They don't have time. They don't have protection. The quarterback gets banged up. We all know Cephal's playing with an injured shoulder. And that's also because Colorado doesn't really have the run game. The first two weeks, they looked like, hey, Colorado might have a run game. But when you go into this Pac-12 schedule, it's really difficult to say, well, we're going to run it down these teams' throats because you're playing Pac-12 teams. You're not going to do that. So maybe if there's a once a drive, twice a drive, you can line up with the two tight end set, Cepho under center, and let uh, excuse me, let uh, Lindsey go to the right or go to the left because he can run both ways, by the way. Uh, the, the first touchdown, it was a 20-yard run. It was nothing complicated. It was simple. Perfectly I mean, blocked. He yep. went right between the tackle and the tight end, and he took it all the way himself because he's got the breakaway speed. He's got the moves. And everyone, oh, he doesn't have the size. He doesn't have the size. It doesn't matter. He does have the size. He runs like he he's has durable. The size. He's a durable guy. He's not a small guy that's going to take a hit and be out for the year. Well, but, the funny thing was uh, Matt Cisneros, uh, one of our multimedia managers over at the CU Independent, texted me during, uh, I believe it was the Oregon game, and said he tweeted that too. Yeah. yeah. He goes, one of the coaches. He goes, one of the coaches. He he named the name to me. I'm I'm not gonna put anyone on blast, but he said one of the coaches on the sideline just said, if Christian Powell ran like Phil Phil Lindsay. Then Christian will win the Heisman. <laughs> if only it was that. If Christian exactly. Howell ran like Phil Lindsay, he'd be playing for Alabama. Exactly. So. He'd be Christian McCaffrey. <laughs> oh. Shout I out to gonna, Christian McCaffrey, by the way. Huge yeah. yeah. shout out to Christian McCaffrey. He, up. he I know he went to Valor High School, and that's that's my uh, that's In my arch, arch nemesis. <laughs> but Christian McCaffrey is leading. I mean, he's the all-time leading guy right now out there. Uh, I mean, all-purpose yards. I mean, he's incredible for Stanford. Yeah. I, I remember yeah. watching him play in high school. I was like, well, he's pretty good. I know we all know. He's Ed's son. How about wearing the number five in red, just like Reggie Bush? Yeah. Well, I thought I thought the uh, my other funny quip about this was going to be the, uh, according to Bleacher Report, Christian McCaffrey is one of the most disappointing people in the Pac-12 so far. I don't know if you guys saw that I article. No, I, saw I missed that. that. A Bleacher Report article surfaced like right at the beginning of last week. It was shortly before um, Stanford's most recent game uh, against UCLA, and it had one bad week. It cited it cited Christian McCaffrey as one of the most disappointing players in the Pac-12 so far. Maybe that's he's only season. leading Maybe that the nation in all-purpose yards. <laughs> yeah. He's got to do more. Got, so he's in the Heisman conversation now. Like was, He's legitimately in the Heisman it conversation. It was hysterical. 7 was o'clock. Hysterical. 7 o'clock. Radio 1190. Sports. KVCU Boulder. Sports is, is what we're talking about here. That was the first hour, so... 
congratulations. Achievement unlocked. You lasted the first hour. Now it's time for the second hour. Who uh, are you congratulating? No one is still listening. <laughs> I mean, I guess the people that are like pods like three or four times through the podcast version of this. Uh, if, you're, if you're just coming in now or... If you're listening to this after the fact, you know this. This will be available online for download tomorrow. Uh, you can. We're allowing you to download it and stream it, so do whatever you want with that. Um, I'd love like some kind of like remix rap song with some sound bites from our song or from our show. That'd be kind of cool. They do it with the J and Dan podcast. Yeah. Uh, I would need drops. Drops. Oh, we God. do need drops. Actually, we toyed with drops two years ago, Jake. It was bad. Oh, God. That's it, 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 there's no way to do it. Anyway, so 701, Radio 1190. There's no way to do it. <laughs> Everyone's here. Matan Alzell, Andrew Hobner, Jake Shapiro, and Ryan Konigsberg on your Friday night. Coming up at 745, uh, Brady Quinn, Fox Sports 1, will be joining us via telephone. That'll be really fun uh, to talk about with him. We're actually talking about it during the break that... Yesterday was the 10th anniversary of the Bush Push, Notre Dame versus USC, in what's got to be one of the all-time great college football games. Uh, so we'll talk to him about that, as well as what he thinks about the Pac-12 uh, play in general, as well as evaluation of Sefa Lufau. So hopefully uh, we can pick the brain of Brady Quinn. But let's talk about uh, this Saturday's game. Arizona comes into town. It's homecoming weekend. I'm actually hearing from a few people that there's going to be some decent attendance this weekend, which is nice. Yeah. What's decent? Yeah. What do you think homecoming. decent is? It's homecoming. I, what, it, what, I'm what do you think it is? I was about to say, what have I, I heard that it was, I think it actually it might have been from you, Ryan, that it was in like the 39-ish room? That's oh, I heard some 50. Okay, you, you I, no, about no, no, no. Buffs podcast this week that you and Bryce thought that a lot of people jumped off the train last week. T- I, I really do. I, I, and yeah. I, we knew it coming into that game, and we tried to stop it on, on the BSN Buffs podcast last week saying, look, they're just going to get blown out. There's just no two ways. Everything is the way this is building up. They are going to get blown out. So don't jump off afterwards because they have a winnable game next week. Well, I really do think a lot of people jumped off last week. There is a homecoming bump, but homecoming drew 37,000 last year, so uh, it's not exactly a shoe-in for 50,000. Shout out to Matt Cisneros, who just went on Photoshop and made a fill of the future graphic. Oh, my gosh. We got to get that trending. No way. That's going to be the cover photo of this of this on SoundCloud. Oh, my gosh. That is absolutely going to be the cover. Matt Cisneros Matt, is a legend. Matt, tweet that at CU Buffs. You're, you're a ledge. That's beautiful. Anyways, game on Saturday. Uh, Colorado needs to bring a complete effort. I mean, they haven't played a full game really since that mask game. Well, I said at the beginning of the week that uh, for for better or worse, this really is the game for for Colorado because – Mike well, McIntyre didn't like it when you said that. Oh, man, he <laughs> was not happy with me, boy. I think the two questions I asked him, he was not happy with me at all. Anyway, the, but, but for, I'm, you know, Mike McIntyre cannot like it, but the fact of the matter is, as far as Rick George is concerned and AD is concerned, fans and ticket sales are concerned, this is it. Because you drop this game, then... You thought it was out the window after Arizona State. I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be over. Nobody's well, gonna think that there's going to be any chance to win. Although there are still technically two winnable games left on the schedule after this, you win this game, all of a sudden, delusional hype train bullholds like can kind of come back. I mean, a six-win season technically is there if you beat Arizona on Saturday. So, for better or worse. This will be defining this Colorado football season because you drop it, 
your fans aren't going to think that you have the ability to win a Pac-12 game for the second year in a row. And even if you do, it's going to be one or two, and it's going to look like a consolation prize of, oh, look, we beat bottom-of-the-barrel Oregon State, or we beat you know, a decent Washington State team. But people think don't think of Washington State as that good of a team anyway. So this kind of is going to be the important piece for everyone from from fans to Rick George I'm not saying this is Mike McIntyre's job on the line it's not and anyone who thinks that is crazy yeah I see you you are kind of saying that no I'm not I'm not saying that this is going I'm not saying that if he loses this it's like he's done I'm saying from the fan perspective and what the perception of the Colorado football team is to people from here on out this game is going to define that season. That's See, all I'm saying. What the way I feel about it uh, is, th- next week is really the week where they have to get one by. But the way I feel about this game is, if they lose this, I I don't. I think there's going to be so much negative energy surrounding the team that I don't know if they're going to win next week. Yeah. Um, this is kind of the. All right, what like let let's have this players only meeting. Let's get everyone together. Let's put everything into this one big effort to get to get off the schneid. And if they do, everything is great. And then I think they go to Oregon State and get another one next week mm-hmm. and then the hype really starts to build. Yeah, exactly. But I feel like if they if they lose this, if, especially if it's a big letdown, you know, they come out flat once again or they come out too tight once again and they they have a big letdown game, then I think uh like you said, perception of the program goes down the drain and it worries me that uh, players on the team will be like, man, we had the players only meeting. We did everything right this week. We practiced our butts off, and we still couldn't get it done. What, what, what else can we do? And I think that's a scary thing to think about happening this week. I think a, an important matchup to look at this week is the fact that Arizona has the top offense in the Pac-12, mm-hmm. and the front seven has just not been performing, but it's because of injuries. Kenneth Olubode is out for another couple of weeks. Um, Addison Gillum, he still has that meniscus injury. He's gone. Um, You've got Gamboa has been filling in very nicely for them. Severson's hurt too, so yeah. now you have Those, Shaver, Watanabe. Your linebackers are follow. supposed to be your key tacklers. I'd say follow Watanabe, Shaver. Well, yeah. yes, I, in no particular <laughs> order, but when you have, when you have defensive studs such as them that are out, it's it's so hard to see this defense competing with Arizona. I just I I'm, a, I'm an optimist for this team, and I just I, I can't see the it. The other way to look at it is Arizona is also missing uh, their two top linebackers, so it's kind of a battle of who has the better backup. <laughs> If, if this will be a close game, it's going to be a shootout. Oh, absolutely. But I think we know which team has the better backup linebackers just based off of talent and recruiting. That's probably Arizona. You're you're kind of you don't know that. I you're just, don't. You, I'm you're just really saying don't. that Arizona's in a better spot right now as a program than Colorado is, are, and I think that's fair to say. I think I would agree with Jake on that one. No, I know, but I'm just <laughs> but, you're just guessing. But okay. <laughs> yeah, but what are any of us doing? What is this um, whole show, been, so, Ryan? So, right, so, don't discredit so, the whole so show. Weird. That's all we do is guess. Um, that's our job is to guess. But we don't know anything. All right, all right. But my educated analysis, I guess, rather than my guess, would be that you talked about this with me. The Arizona's main thing is to do is to confuse linebackers, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, Colorado's down to their fourth and fifth linebackers. That doesn't really bode well for them. No, it doesn't. And I really think the only way these new guys. I'm still laughing about that. <laughs> I think the only way these new guys come in and have success is if they just play. Um, NJ Fallow and Grant Watanabe both are really talented football players. They have to just kind of just play. Uh, they're going to get beat a couple times, and they're going to 
have some bad things, but if they can just go out with the mindset of this is just football and I'm just going to re rely on my instincts and re rely on what I've done my whole life, I think there could almost be a positive there um, rather than, you know, a senior who who's watches so much film and watches all this stuff and has so many like preconceived notions about how this is going to work and they overthink it. I think if these guys can just go out there and say, hey, um, you know, I don't know this offense as great as I possibly could, but, you know, I have a good idea. Um, I have a guy like Rick Gamboa who can help me get in the right spot. I just got to trust my instincts. And I think um, their instincts and their natural talent can go a long way in this game. I'm really interested to see not only NJ follow, but maybe even more so Grant Watanabe because that's a kid who his high, his high school tape, I thought I, I really liked his high school tape and what Loved I saw it. from it. And he's a guy who hasn't been able to get it going. He redshirted a year, and then he... He gray-shirted. He gray-shirted. Gray and, uh, right, and even this year, people himself even thought... He's himself, he self, yeah. thought he was going to redshirt. Yeah, and right. well, and the one thing I was about to reference was the tweet that he sent out after, what was it, UMass or Nichols, saying... Nichols. It was after Nichols, where, you know, he basically tweeted out, football used to be my thing. You another know, oh, year well, down another, the drain. Yeah, another year down the drain, oh well. And I think now that the opportunity that he's going to have to debut yeah he might be a little bit raw but I'm really interested to see if he takes kind of all of the energy and is able to kind of put that forward in a constructive way of all right I've finally gotten my chance now it's time to show something um or you have the opposite of that he has his freshman moment and he kind of fizzles in the light um however it shakes I'm really interested to see how that works out for him just kind of based off the year and a half that he's had in this Colorado football program. I'm just excited because he's going to pop some dudes. Yeah. He is a bowling ball with a rocket behind him. Mm -hmm. uh, he has great burst uh, up the middle, and he just he loves to lay the wood. So Sounds I'm like the, the scouting report for Ryan's bowling game. Well, yeah, my bowling ball is flames, so. Right. <laughs> 710 on Radio 1190, KVCU Boulder. You're turning to Friday Night Live. Uh, real quick lineup change. Brady Quinn is actually going to be calling in uh, in about 10 minutes around 720. Oh, nice. we, we moved him up. We moved Quinner up a little bit there, so we'll get a little bit more time with Brader. What is he, a hockey player? He's a Quinner. He's a Quinner. <laughs> oh uh, score update, the ALCS. The Kansas City Royals lead the Toronto Blue Jays 2-0 in the bottom of the third. Uh, for those of you wondering about that, that game is on Big Fox. That's on KDVR for... Everyone around here. Uh, anyway, see you football this weekend. Yeah, there's a baseball flag. Keep the mic away from Jake. <laughs> Keep it away from Jake. Uh, football. Let's continue. The uh, Baton pointed out Arizona's got the best offense in the Pac-12. We've, I mean, we've talked about this is a porous defense. Top ten in the nation. I was about to say they're. I think they have the best scoring offense in the nation, don't they? Statistically, either uh, way. I know it's best in the Pac-12. Yeah. I don't know about the nation. What does Colorado do? Because you can't, you can't keep doing what you've been yeah. doing. That doesn't work. So what do you change? You contain a new Solomon, bottom line. I mean, he's mobile. He's more mobile than Sefo is. You have to contain him because if he starts running loose, you've got two talented running backs. If he can start running everywhere too, it's going to be over before we even start. And also just uh, an amendment to my note. Uh, Arizona in the NCAA is 7th in rushing offense, 7th in scoring offense, but their one number one is in their punt return average. Oh, gosh. So that. Well, Colorado special teams has not been great. Nice. Well, well, hopefully they fix that this week because, uh, you know, Ryan wrote, I think, uh, that Dave replaced the one guy that was causing trouble for them on their punt I think is, it, was, sa is it, it safe to say who that one guy is, or should we kind of keep it secret? It was, what, what do we have to keep it secret? It was George Frazier. Yeah. <laughs> Down goes Frazier. 
Oh. oh. But yes, it, it, it was uh, it was George. Tra- I, honestly, I thought it was. Frankly, when I when I went into the the Monday media address, I thought it was Kitty because I was like, he's holding the ball too long. But yes, uh, it's George Frazier, and apparently he has it, been replaced. And so. uh, he had his eyes closed on yeah. that. I, he really did. I'm not just saying that. He closed his eyes and completely missed his guy. Um, so that's, I guess that's a quick way to get benched. Yeah, and and. The special special teams will be what they are, um, but obviously the important part of this game is going to be how Colorado's defense contains this rushing game because while there was not a 100-yard rusher for Arizona State in that last game, they still allowed over 225 yards on the ground. Mm-hmm. And in the game prior, they also allowed over 225 yards on the ground to Oregon, who allowed Royce Freeman who basically has an Arizona doppelganger and Nick Wilson to run all over them. So this Arizona game will be will be something. And for those of you that remember, uh, Sha- oh yeah, okay, Shaft's got the stat. Yeah, so Talk. I was going to point this out. The last three years, there's been a rusher go over 100 yards for Arizona. Of course, Kadeem Carey went for three million, right? 365 <laughs> yards against Colorado and five touchdowns in 2012. Uh, in 2013, Kadeem Carey went for 119. And uh, legend uh, has it, last if you year, drive Nick Wilson went over 100. Legend has it, if you drive around Boulder late at night, you can still see Kadeem Carey running around. <laughs> I like that. Idea. That's really funny. It's kind of weird. <laughs> Shaft is like having none of it. No, I'm just I'm I don't have a mic, so I can't laugh into it. I'm sharing a mic. With him. I don't know why I've been downgraded. Oh, come on! Because you better have came in. We sent you down to the minors after our hot take battle Monday. I don't want to sit next to you. They are literally sitting on each other's lap. I we're no, t- we're touching knees. Touching Not anymore. Me. Hey, be careful. <laughs> be careful, Jake. He might uh, pop the question. Oh, uh, he might pop the question. God, I'm never going to live that down. No, I? you tried to propose marriage to Rick George. I didn't. Forget it. Just keep going. <laughs> is there a volleyball game tonight for us to go to? There is. There is, but there's also a CU men's hockey game tonight that uh, everyone should go check out. Puck Drops is coming up in about 15 minutes, so you should go fashionably late. Uh, Colorado <laughs> is taking on the Arkansas Razorbacks tonight at the rec center. Go walk in. It's a great time for all. They have hockey rinks in Arkansas? That's what I They said. do. I was actually there uh, two weeks ago, Ryan, and I don't know if you know the dimensions for a, a normal hockey rink, but the neutral zone was about 10 feet smaller than a regulation <laughs> uh, hockey rink, so it was a really odd It was a really odd game. We were in, um, we were basically in Bentonville, where it is uh, the, ho- the home of Walmart, and it hmm. was a weird trip. A hockey trip to the south gets weird, but okay. I'll tell you this. I feel like most hockey trips just get weird. They yeah. do. We're going to North Dakota in a few weeks. That'll be fun. <laughs> um, I will say, though, this. Uh, the Arkansas Razorback hockey fans were the most polite hockey fans of all time i will say that i'm not spending my friday night watching volleyball or hockey well we went to the volleyball game cool guy over here <laughs> watch he's, out he's gonna go bowling in his miami vice jacket and his in his <laughs> flamed bowling ball yes my bowling ball is flames i've had it since sixth grade what's your oh. nickname rk the flame the flaming rk no that's the, the sandwich that i get most it's there's a sandwich it's called all part the of the brand. RK at it, Lowe's. If, according to me, there is. <laughs> 716 every on Radio 90. Every time I go into Moe's, I just order the Flamin' RK, and they never know what it is. But eventually, one day, <laughs> they will. Because they're always like, what's that? I'm like, what? You don't know? It's the jalapeno bagel with jalapeno cream cheese. Nice. And then one, the next time I go in, one time, they're going to be like, oh, I got you. Nice. Uh, like we, we talked about this last week before we have Quinn on. Uh, real quickly. We mentioned last week that Jared Goff was being profiled by ESPN the magazine as being a future NFL quarterback. 
What do you think about that? Uh, I think he has tons of talent. Um, I think he can make all the throws. He's very comfortable in the pocket usually, but a great defense like Utah made him look pretty bad last week. Um, I think he had five picks mm-hmm. in that mm-hmm. game, so uh, he's got a long ways to go, but he's going to be a high draft pick. Uh, he, if, if Colorado could have a quarterback like Jared Goff in this offense, uh, they'd be scoring it's, a ton of points. Yeah. It's true. I mean, you just said it best. And also, he did have five interceptions, but he threw a couple of dimes in that yeah, game against did. that defense. But I, the, per, the player that he reminds me the most of is Matt Ryan. And mm. he's going to have to go to the system, the right system. And if it does work, I think he will be a star in the NFL. You know, we obviously view everything through the Colorado microscope. And the game that really blew me away with Jared Goff was the game two years ago against Colorado. where Or was it last year against Colorado where every single person uh, that was a quarterback in that game just threw for touchdown after mm-hmm. touchdown. That was last year. But that game absolutely blew me away uh, at Jared Goff's ability. You know, Sefo Lufau also had a monster game, but the way Jared Goff played in that game was far superior to that of Sefo Lufau's mm-hmm. ability. That was like Sefo's best game ever. ever. He played right. really, really well in that right. game. And even then, Jared Goff was still sick. Yeah, Jared Goff, I mean, Jared Goff just looks better back there because he has the right throwing motion, he has the right footwork, and he does it all. But Man, you can't really take anything away from Sefo in that game. He threw seven touchdowns. I think it's not a knock on Sefo. It's more that Jared Goff's just a great player. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I I mean, I like Goff a lot, and Matan, I love the Matt Ryan comparison. I I see a lot now that you mentioned that. What I think is probably the 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 best thing about Goff is, is how he has the ability to rebound. Toward the end of that game against Utah. Cal had the opportunity to drive. Uh, if Treggs doesn't drop that ball on third down to force that fourth down situation, they're still moving down the field. And Goff was, at that point, throwing the ball very well. I mean, he had gotten pretty comfortable. He had, I think, what was it, like three of his five or four of his five in the first half. Um, and then in the second half, he really, really settled down, threw a couple of nice touchdown passes, and was able to get Cal back into that game. Um I think Cal and that Sonny Dykes coach team, they're they're good. Um, certainly not to the level of a team like Utah, who Utah and Stanford will probably be in the CFP, or they will f- battle it out for the CFP, but Cal's a team that's going to make a pretty, uh, a pretty compelling case to make one of the really good bowls in college football this year. Joe looks excited. <laughs> All right, I think we're gonna we're gonna see if the phone system works. If it doesn't work, I'm gonna cry be, yourself to sleep. Maybe. Yeah, All right, yeah. all the buttons are on and are on. Uh, Brady, can you hear us? I can. Oh my God, it worked. Uh, Brady, thank you so much for joining us. Brady Quinn, Fox Sports One analyst and former Notre Dame quarterback. Uh, Brady, thanks for joining us. You excited to be in Boulder? Yeah. No, it's uh, it's it's kind of. It's kind of eerie coming back for me because I was recruited by Colorado uh, back in, what, 2001. Uh, I loved the campus, loved everything that the Colorado football program had to offer. Uh, It just wasn't the right fit for me. In all honesty, probably a little bit too far away from home. Uh, but I, I love the Boulder area. I love the football program. I'm really hoping that they can get things back on track. Brady Ryan Konigsberg here. Uh, obviously, you've had a week to look into this Colorado football team, maybe a little more. Um, and we'd love to hear from a quarterback perspective. What do you think uh, of Colorado's quarterback, Sefo Lufau? 
You look at I think Seppo has been under a lot of pressure. Uh, obviously, he was sacked a bunch of times, I think eight times last week versus Arizona State, uh, and sacked a number of times before that. It's been a, a bit because they've got musical chairs going on right now in the offensive line, and that's never easy for a quarterback. Uh, and, and to put along with that is the fact that the running game really hasn't been quite as effective as you'd like it to be uh, to at least help out a quarterback. So uh, those things make it hard um, for, I think, Seppo to put up the same types of numbers that he did last year at this point in time in the season. Um, but there's also some things he could do better. I mean, look, he might be holding on to the football a little bit too long. I think he's battling uh, through a shoulder injury and has been extremely tough as a player. Uh, and, and only he knows how bad it hurts. But obviously he's trying to push through the adversity to be out there and play and lead his team. Uh, and, and I'm sure that's part of it. Uh, but I think overall, I think he's got all the tools and all the intangibles and the ability to be that guy. Uh, it's just a matter of getting things solidified up in front of him to help him out and then providing him some help with the run game. What kind of things can he do uh, and the coaching staff do to kind of help him with the, the struggles of that offensive line? The, the, the biggest thing is you've got to be on point mentally. So every single read, you've got to be precise. You can't be late. There can't be any wasted time in the pocket. Uh, your footwork uh, in the pocket has to be extremely efficient. You can't have any wasted steps if you want to try to get away from pressure or get out of some of those sacks. Um, so him being a good decision maker uh, in, in that aspect is going to come into play big time. And uh, I think they're going to need him to continue to uh, you know, limit the amount of interceptions. That's one thing that I think he can hang his hat on that he's done a good job of this year compared to last year uh, where he threw the, took a little more risks and I think threw a few more interceptions than he would have liked to, but he also was throwing more touchdown passes. Uh, so we'll see if they're able to bounce their offense a little bit and open some things up uh, tomorrow. Brady, Jake Shapiro here. Uh, you know, as a quarterback, you were a pro. You were a great player at Notre Dame. You talk about Cepho Lufau's shoulder injury. What is the toughest thing you had to deal with as a quarterback? I mean, a number of things. I had a Liz Frank injury. I had to come back from concussions. I had a posterior label there. Uh, I played a game and a half with a broken right index finger um, that I actually ended up getting pins put in. So, you know, to be honest with you, there's a lot of physical things you endure as a quarterback, but that's all part of the game. That's all part of the job description. When you, when you become a pro, that's why you get paid. It's your job to battle through that kind of stuff if you can. Um, it, it's, it's what you do as far as your leadership role. It's how you lead the team, in particular in times like this, um, where maybe you feel like you haven't played up to your potential as a team. Well, Seppo's got to be the guy now uh, to make the play that gets them over the top, to make the play that helps them beat Arizona, uh, get a win in the Pac-12, and start getting this team to elevate their play and paying playing the way they're capable of. Brady, this is Andrew Hobner. One thing that Coach Mike McIntyre talked about in his Tuesday press conference was a new Solomon and his ability to escape and his ability to kind of stretch plays and make them a little longer with that scrambling ability that he has. So when you look at Solomon against a what is really a depleted linebacker core for Colorado, do you think that there's potential he might just take that scrambling ability and just totally make Colorado pay for it? 
Uh, I don't necessarily think that's the case. I think as far as the quarterback's uh, scrambling ability, that usually comes into play when a team's uh, providing a ton of pressure. So if Colorado decides to go for the route uh, where Jim Levitt dials up a bunch of blitzes tomorrow, then you might see some of that come into play. But, you know, Solomon's pretty good at, um, you know, knowing when to leave the pocket and when to sit in the pocket and wait for something to get open. Uh, so I think the, the majority of the pressure really tomorrow uh, is going to be on, you know, the nose tackle. I think when you look at Justin Solis and the job that he's going to have to do um, to be able to chew gap up front, try to hold things down the run game. I mean, this is an Arizona team that's been averaging about 300 yards a game lately rushing the football. So if I'm Colorado, I want to take one thing away from Amu Solomon, and it's going to be the running game. Not necessarily him running, but the running backs running the football. Uh, and then I want to force everything to be on him throwing the football. Uh, so I'd like to put pressure on whether it's Ken Crawley or – um, you know, whoever, whoever ends up playing, whether it's uh, Witherspoon or Fisher or another cornerback position, um, I want to put pressure on those guys because they're good enough. I mean, Colorado's got a nice secondary. Cedric Thompson, Ryan Muller, those guys have done a nice job on the back end, uh, being able to cover down, make plays uh, in an open space. So I think that's probably the strength of your defense. So stop the run first, force Honor Solomon to beat you with his arm and try to contain him in the pocket uh, when you rush. Don't necessarily blitz him too much to let him get outside the pocket and make a big play downfield. Brady, Matan Alzil here. We've talked a lot about the uh, quarterback matchup for the game so far. Uh, have you had a chance to catch Philip Lindsay at all these past couple weeks? And if so, how special a player do you think he can become in this league? Man, I'm a huge fan of this guy. And and I was a little bit surprised when I looked at Lindsey's uh, size and his bio. He's only 5'8", 180 pounds, but he still plays bigger than that. Yeah, he runs tough. He's extremely physical. He's got great hands coming out of the backfield. You know, uh, Brian Lindgren, the offensive coordinator, started to use him uh, in particular a bit versus Oregon uh, in a three-by-one set by three, releasing him out of the backfield. He had some nice catches, some big plays. Uh, I'm really hoping that they can get him more incorporated into the game. You know, as, as as well as guys like Patrick Carrs and uh, you know, Patrick Carr, maybe Donovan Lee, uh, if they can get him involved as well. Those are two other speedy guys that I'd like to see get in the mix. You're tuning to Radio 1190, KVC Boulder, Friday Night Live with our guest Brady Quinn. Uh, Brady, one of the all-time great Notre Dame football quarterbacks. Brady, growing up a big Notre Dame football fan, uh, something that came to mind yesterday, the 10th anniversary of the Bush push when uh, USC took down Notre Dame uh, at home that on October 15, 2005. Uh, how much do you think about that yesterday, if at all? Uh, not not at all. I mean, people have asked about it this week, and they're trying to make a big deal of it. I mean, look what it comes down to it. Um, it was a great game. It was it was a ton of fun to be a part of. Obviously, we came out on the on the uh, losing end of it. Um, there's some controversy, which with any big game between two top ranked teams, uh, when you add in some of the officials possibly blowing a call that ends up winning the game for one team, there's going to be controversy. People are going to talk about it. Um, but it, look, it was. It was a very fun matchup. There's a lot of talent in that field. I mean, having the opportunity to play against guys like Matt Leinard and Reggie Bush uh, and go head-to-head with them is a ton of fun. I mean, that's why you go to Notre Dame. That's why you go to USC to play in those sorts of uh, matchups and rivalries. Do you have an all-time favorite uh, game that you think back to you that that was the coolest game I was ever a part of? Uh, It's tough to put it on one. You know, it's weird as a player – you know, I was the type of guy where I, the ones you remember the most are your mistakes or the losses. Um, you know, you, you don't necessarily remember the, the good times quite as much, right? It's kind of like uh, the reward from winning isn't it's quite as, as great as how bad you feel when you lose. 
Um, I, I guess I still go back to the first time I walked out the tunnel my true freshman year. We were playing Washington State. It was a, uh, a top 25 ranked team. And uh, just seeing the crowd for the first time with my helmet on through the face mask and that vantage point, uh, that was really something that was truly special and still gives me goosebumps talking about right now. So, Brady, when when you think back to you know those days, USC was the big dog team in the Pac-12, and it was kind of dynastic uh, over here back when it was the Pac-10. This year, you know the the power has shifted since then, and, and this year Utah and Stanford appear to be those two big teams that will probably make that push for the CFP. Is there any dark horse team in the Pac-12 that you really like right now? Uh, it's tough to tell. There's so much parity. You know, I think I would have said UCLA for watching last night's game, where Stanford really manhandled them. Um, and I think right now, the the Pac-12 is almost uh, beating each other up to the point where they might end up being on the outside looking in of the college football playoff. And a lot of people might think that sounds crazy, but look, there's only four spots, and you've got five power five conferences, and you've got a team in Notre Dame that if they go basically uh, win the rest of the season and only have one loss, a night game at Clemson, all of a sudden they might look like they should be in the mix as well because that's going to include wins over USC, Stanford, um, and they've got a couple of the games down the mix that aren't that too bad. A Temple who's, who's actually undefeated right now. Um, so there's a number of things that I think Notre Dame can make a case of themselves as a one-loss team. And if, unless it's Stanford, Utah, you know, continuing to, to go the rest of the way, being a one-loss team, the Pac-12 might not end up being a team in. We'll see how these next uh, few weeks play out. Brady, all of us in this room have the luxury of covering one team on a week-in, week-out basis. You go around the country doing different games every week and listening to you talk about this Colorado football team, it sounds like you have a pretty good grasp on them. Can you explain uh, how much work goes in, you know, from Saturday night after one game to, to Saturday the next game, getting it, doing research on these teams? Oh, dude, it's, it's harder now than it ever was playing because if you think about it, I'm watching film for both teams, offense, defense, and special teams. Whereas when you're playing, you might watch a ton of games of just the defense, but you're not watching the other team's offense or special teams. You're just focused on your assignment and your objective. Now you're watching a ton of film. The college football game has changed um, you know, from obviously playing when I was playing in the NFL. You maybe have 60, 65 plays. These teams are running 80, 90, 100 plays sometimes in games, and that's on both sides of the football. So you're watching almost you know, a game and a half, whereas in an NFL game you're watching you know, half, half that amount of snaps, half that amount of plays. So it's, uh, it's, it's a lot of work. It's not easy. Uh, I think a lot of people kind of look at the job and think, yeah, everyone just, you know, Moses on over uh, their playing days and gets into it, but they're, they're in for a rude awakening because you end up doing a ton of research, there's a lot of stats, a lot of memorization. Honestly, the toughest part, man, it's saying the names, it's getting the pronunciation down so whoever the Colorado fans are, the Arizona fans are, aren't just blasting you left and right, not saying the guy's uh, name properly. Before we let you go, Brady, uh, of course you were part of the uh, the network launch of Fox Sports 1. Uh, we're all big fans of the Jay and Dan podcast. We all loved your episode that you were on. What's it like working uh, at Fox Sports 1 on Fox Sports Live and getting to work with guys like Jay on Wright and Dan O'Toole? 
So they're the best. I mean, I, I, I really didn't even appreciate them until I got to know them more as people uh, because how they portray themselves on the podcast, on television, I mean, that's just who they are. Um, they love sports. They're absolutely hilarious. And uh, they're just good dudes to be around. Um, so it, it's an absolute pleasure. I mean, I'm really blessed because the group that we have to work around with that's, you know, Joel Clad or Matt Liner, Petros Papadakis, um, and Dave Wanstack, coach, who has a big old mustache he's always wearing. I mean, those, they're all really fun to talk to and break down football with. Um, whenever we have a free moment, we're all in there together. So it's been an absolute pleasure. The, the, only, the only weak link in the whole chain is really Clay Travis because he, can, he continually just bows down to the SEC and continues to pump them up constantly. So that, that, that's our biggest frustration is having to deal with Clay Travis being an absolute idiot. Well, it sounds like uh, you were you were prepared for that one. Jeez, Brady, I, I wasn't ready for that. The, the, their mics are off, but the studio right now is laughing hard, so I had to take their uh, had to take their mics off. Uh, I got to ask real quickly: what, Do you get to work with uh, Andy Roddick much? You know, I, I did actually last year. Um, he's no longer with uh, F1, uh, but he was he was a trip, man. That guy. I, I had a buddy who played college tennis, and they, he reminded me a lot of him. Uh, they, they're really fast talkers. Uh, they're very knowledgeable of a ton of different things, uh, and they're just they're, they're really diehard sports fans. Um, and, and Andy Roddick is one of the most fun people you ever talk to about his experience playing sports, his experience outside of sports, and then just listening to his take on it because tennis players are so different than other than other athletes, you know, and especially team athletes. Um, they're very hard on themselves. Uh, they're they're almost they're extremely sarcastic because they almost have to be. They have to be able to laugh things off because whenever they mess up, they're the ones that have to hold themselves accountable. Uh, so it's, it's pretty interesting just to be around Andy and hear his take on uh, different sports and how he applies his experience uh, to what he's seeing. Uh, before I let you go, sorry, this is the actual final question. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you. Uh, you were with the Denver Broncos for a season. I even have your uh, your jersey, as a matter of fact, Brady. Might be one of the only guys that have it. What was it like uh, living in Denver and being around the Tebow era Denver Broncos? Well, it was two seasons, um, and it was it was interesting. I mean, it it was weird because. I was kind of getting the behind-the-scenes look, and I think uh, a lot of people here beloved him, and he did very well when he got his opportunity to kind of go in and play as far as getting wins and losses. But the unfortunate part is um, in the NFL, you've got to be able to throw the football uh, accurately, and you've got to be able to uh, lead an offense and understand how to run a system. And that just uh, wasn't something that really worked out for him or played to his strengths um, for whatever reason once he left Denver. And, uh, you know, it's just, it, it, was, it was a great organization. I loved living in Denver. The fans were, I, I, I guess, probably the best that I was ever around in the NFL. Um, probably Denver and Seattle were, were right there neck and neck. And, uh, I mean, mile high, man, the, the atmosphere there. Uh, but the whole city, I mean, this is honestly, I, I would say Seattle and Denver, two best cities that I really had the chance to live in and play in. Uh, very blessed to have the opportunity to do that. Well, Brady, thank you so much for spending some time with us. I really appreciate it. Have fun tomorrow, and I uh, hope to talk to you again sometime. Sounds good, guys. So that was Brady Quinn from Fox Sports 1. I made a mistake, and he buried me. <laughs> he did play here that for was, two that, years. That's almost, that's almost as bad as going into the locker room and getting 
people's signatures, or, Joe. Or, uh, or, or, or oh, going, no. Um, no, it's not. It's not even yeah, close. It's not even close, but it's on the level of, hey, Rob Gronkowski, how's this uh, second Super Bowl championship? No, I meant the unashamed. Yeah, uh, I totally have your jersey. I do. I'm a huge Brady <laughs> Quinn fan. It was just the Why tone. do you think I reached out to him? The tone that he brought it in, it was actually terrible. All right, bring this back around. I was really impressed with his knowledge of the buffs. Um, right? Like, really uh, like I, I said to him, all, all of us here have the have the luxury of really uh, keying in on one team. But a guy like that, to you know, he's probably had since Sunday morning of last week to really dive into this team, and uh, I think it's undervalued and underrated and underappreciated how much work a guy like Brady Quinn has to put in each week to get ready to call a game like this. And, and we love to rip announcers when they mess something up, but man, you got to give them credit for how much work they really do put in. Well, you know who. It kind of exemplified that to a T was Adam Amin when he when we had him in the Friday before the Oregon game and his depth of knowledge on Colorado was amazing and you realize that's why they are network broadcasters for two distribution wise the two biggest cable sports networks in the country each of which being between 80 and 90 million homes I mean they are there because they are just that good it only takes them five days to be able to be as well versed in Colorado as Adam I mean as Brady Quinn as any other network personality that comes in here well and Adam I mean not so much but Brady Quinn uh, it kind of gives you perspective. As a journalism guy, I'm not always too hyped when I see uh, former players taking jobs yeah, that journalism yeah. guys could have had. But you know, it's it, it, you have to think about the fact that he yeah. he knows how to watch film. He's been doing it his whole life, and so when he goes in there and he he just talks about how he has to watch more film than when he was playing, he understands how to watch it and, and learn things about the team quickly, more quickly than probably I would if I if I had to turn on the tape about a team I don't know. Well, playing definitely helps. Uh, exactly. And he's had his experience. But I also think it's very underrated, specifically for football broadcasters. There are more players on football teams than hockey, baseball, basketball, by far. They have to know so many names. I mean, I'm always struggling when I'm up in the Radio 1190 <laughs> booth. Uh, these guys are doing it week in and week out. And you touched on that. And it, it is pretty crazy, but he knew what he was talking about. He knew his stuff. I, I was beyond impressed. Yeah, tomorrow's my first time in the Radio 1190 booth calling a game, and I'm looking at Arizona's pronunciation guide right now, and I'm like, man. So props to a guy like Brady Quinn who can just go in there and pretty much bang it home. And like like Andrew said, there's a reason why he, he does what he does. And, you know, I, I liked what he had to say about Colorado's football team. It's, it's in line with kind of a lot of what we are thinking. So it's cool to see an outsider kind of think the way we are because we're so in this scope. We're so into just this Colorado football scope that we don't really see it from the outsider's perspective. So to see a national guy or, or to hear a national guy say, you know, Phil Lindsay's actually the player and, you know, Seppo Lufau is dealing with some things and it's hard to struggle with an offensive, you know, it's easy to struggle with an offensive line that's going in and out and what whatnot. You know, it, it kind of justifies a lot that we're saying to hear a guy like Brady Quinn who was, you know, a, a real professional and, and a, a solid college quarterback um, a great college quarterback, that is, and uh, and someone on the outside of this program really looking at it the same way we do. And uh, I got a lot from that interview. And, you know, for, for him to be dropping guys like Ryan Moeller's name, you know, he knows this team. Yeah. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, the one thing that actually, you know, we did pretty well this show was the two guests that we had were both very knowledgeable on Colorado football and were able to give good information and, and their own very unique takes um, on how 
Colorado football is right now and what needs to be done uh, for this team to really establish itself again on on a national stage or even on a smaller level on the Pac-12 stage. And I'm frankly kind of sad that I'm going to be running around and unable to hear the actual broadcast tomorrow because I've actually never heard Brady Quinn on an FS1 broadcast. He's really good. After well, after hearing that, I might need to open up Fox Sports Go or something because I really want to hear his color commentary. It's really impressive the guys they have. Like we we talk about Joel Klatt all the time, but Joel Klatt is really really good at his job. So the talent that Fox Sports has as a broadcasting crew is really impressive for how young they are as a network and you know I like like you said Andrew there's a reason these guys are in these positions it's they don't get handed these jobs maybe some of these former athletes do and whatnot but you know I'm not taking a shot at Brady but he wasn't the all pro quarterback he wasn't the best quarterback ever so he didn't just get handed this job he 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 earned it Um, and yes he has some name recognition from his playing days but you know uh, so does Joel Klatt but they're not the guys. They're not a Peyton Manning that's just sitting into this job. You know, they, they they had to earn this job, and you can you can tell that he really likes it and he's passionate about it. Well, you know, the the one thing that the that these network guys you know they look for is not necessarily the, who the best player is, but who the player is that will give you the best analysis on what this is. And Teddy Bruschi did an interview a couple years ago where he touched on this specifically and said, I have seen guys that have come into ESPN that were great players and they were terrible on air. They didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know their analysis. So you have to really be kind of a unique person to not only be a former pro or former collegiate player, but also be good enough to be able to lend your voice and use it in a constructive way on the network level. And while I personally have my own issue with Fox and how they cover events and how uh, and what their live coverage looks like, I really like a lot of their live event staff. I, I think their stable of talent and their broadcast teams are up there with NBC, with ESPN, and I'm gonna really be excited to see what uh, what FS1 and their and their team for this weekend is gonna be able to do with what hopefully will be a good Colorado versus Arizona game. You hear the term sport IQ for whatever sport you play: football, mm-hmm. basketball, baseball IQ. The perfect example of an analyst who can't come through on the broadcast, who was able to play, Kurt Schilling. I don't know. He <laughs> There's a lot more problems. Hold on. He very he very quietly got back on ESPN and he screwed up again. When? Yeah, the Democrat re- this Trump week. tweeted, "Who's winning the Democratic debate?" And, and Kurt Schilling responds, "ISIS." And he got taken <laughs> off the air for the rest of the week. Good for um, him. But I, on a completely <laughs> other side note, for Brady Quinn, I would also just like to say that the Cleveland Browns was a very unfortunate team to get drafted to at the time because I don't know if any of you have noticed. No, it still is. It still is. That's what I'm going to say. Yeah. Well, Manziel got pulled over for drunk driving again. Yes, and there's still no, 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 he didn't. He wasn't drunk. He was drunk. He was drunk. He wasn't drunk. He wasn't. He was drinking. He was in the drinks earlier. He was drinking, but. They're still looking for that quarterback carousel right now. And I'm just saying the first team has a huge impact. And I'm sure Brady is still a bit sour because 
I'm when sure he's a bit sour about, Oakland, about the, the push. The like, Oakland Raiders used to be on that same line, but now Derek Carr's finally taking them to new heights. But Cleveland is still looking for a quarterback. I, it's it's such a shame. Brady Brady could have gone anywhere else in the NFL, and I'm not saying he would have had guaranteed success. Not Chicago. Not Chicago, <laughs> but he may have had a better chance, which is very sad. But he, now he has a he's doing great at what he does. I mean, he that, had a shot in KC. Uh, that's where he played his best. Yeah, I mean, I just, thought he should have worked out. I think. Honestly, I think it all ended up pretty well yeah. for him. I think it's still for FS1. I he, mean, he participated in the 2015 Veterans Combine, and I know that he also was briefly signed with uh, the Dolphins last year. And I don't know if it's still part of his contract, but uh, part of his previous television contract was that if a team comes calling, similar to what Tebow had, he can leave and go be a quarterback. But you know, hmm. the farther you're removed from the game, though, the harder it is for you to get back into it. Yep. Hmm. Anyway, really cool guy, though. I'm glad he. I mean, I was pretty shocked that. He tweeted back to us, you know, when I asked him a week ago, you know, hey, you want to come on the show? Because, like, who's gonna, who else would do that? I mean, you know, I think we have a great show, but... We've had a lot of people do that, Joe. I to say, yeah, from the national media? Aaron Amin was... Adam. Adam Amin. <laughs> come on, God. Joe. God. Second time today. Twice in a I night, was real, man. I was real uh, tempted to ask him about that Ohio State Bowl game where... Uh, AJ Hawk was on the other side of the field, and his sister wore that jersey with half Brady Quinn and half AJ Hawk on it. No. Yeah, because well, his sister is dating AJ Hawk. Yeah. Oh I, just my wanted, I just wanted goodness. to ask him. Just I'm glad. But, hang on. I'm glad. I, I got all the I got all the dumb comments out. Oh, Don't worry. I, I got would, you covered. I, w- I would not have asked him that. I think I think the the spot that we're in in terms of time slot is pretty beneficial to be able to get some of these national guys that come in for these games because. Honestly, Friday night, you're if you're done with your prep, you're there, and that's kind of that's kind of it. But the funny thing is about about this game coming up is that this is going to be primetime game number what two or three this season for Colorado, and there's three, so there's a couple more put on the stable, and frankly, I don't remember the last time. Colorado has had the potential to have more than four games in, in prime time in a season. Maybe you guys remember, but I think it at least speaks a little bit to the improvement, however incremental it is, to this team that you are willing to put them in a time slot that's a little bit more valuable you know, to your P2 and feel good about it. Because this time last year, we were getting 11 a.m. slots against Washington, where you know your network people are waking up at 5 o'clock in the morning to get to Folsom. Your network speaker being Andrew Hobner. Being runners for the Pac-12 yeah. that had to wake up at 5 in the morning. But uh, still, I, you know, uh, Ryan, I, you can probably show a little bit more light on this. Well, yeah, I, and they're going to be uh, under the lights again next week in, uh, in Corvallis at 730. Um, I think that... You know, it, it plays into it that Colorado played really competitive games at home last year. So they have a pretty good feeling that if they're putting Colorado on the field against a conference opponent, it's going to be a decent game. Um, I think it plays into it that Folsom is a beautiful place, uh, great views. It looks great on the broadcast. But uh, it really comes down to this team making step, a step forward and them being sure that it's not going to be, you know, a blowout after blowout anymore. But Colorado has had a bunch of fortunate matchups this year in terms of when they've happened or when they are going to happen and uh, who they are playing and and things like that. Like that Stanford game, now you're looking at it here in Boulder. It it looks like it's probably going to be in prime time just because Stanford's been so good. And you, if you're a network, you're probably going to want to showcase Stanford no matter who they're against. It's true. I mean, that that'll probably 
That's uh, going to be ugly. That Oh, my God. That's going to be really ugly, but it'll most likely be Not in... for Christian McCaffrey. <laughs> oh, God. That'd be pretty cool for him. Yeah, probably. But, no, I mean, I, I think it's... I think it's good to see to see so many games in in prime time and and everything that's going to be coming down the pipe. You know, there's the issue for CU fans is that after this Arizona game, the next two home matches don't look uh, the most favorable in terms of seeing a positive result with Stanford and USC down the pipe. But you can see a couple of wins. I think it starts this week against Arizona. Um, whether or not you can see. Them steal one away from, well, not steal one, but take one away from Oregon State at Corvallis, possibly steal one from Washington State over in Pullman like they did a couple years back, and then maybe pull a shock if you, against UCLA if UCLA lays an egg. I'm not going to, you know, bet my house on that one. But, but there's, there's potential in here to actually hit that five or six win benchmark that a lot of people had set for the season. And... You know, we talk about frustration, uh, and the last two weeks have understandably been frustrating because I think everyone kind of, there's a general consensus that we knew those games were going to be losses, and you, you kind of know that they're going to be losses at the beginning of the season, but Oregon, when it looks winnable, and then you get dominated in the second half, then it, it gets frustrating. The The frustration out of Arizona State was just the utter comedy of errors that, that happened that made people think this team is absolutely cursed beyond all belief. Um, so to write the ship against this Arizona team in a game where you have the potential to win and what some people did consider to be a possible upset at the beginning of the season that could lead to five or six wins on the schedule. Um, it's big. And I mentioned it earlier in the broadcast, but for better or worse, I think this is going to be the season, this homecoming weekend against Arizona. But I also think you're you're spot on in the fact that this game is really, it's it's not the most important game of the season, but it is. Because from a confidence standpoint, if, if you win this game, and Ryan touched on this a bit earlier too, then the confidence goes higher. And if, if you go into Oregon State with high confidence next week and you win, then that confidence really starts going sky high. You're one game away from bowl contention. I mean, this this game, as far as confidence implications, it is two huge. two two games. Yeah, they have to win seven, but still. I, I've oh, been the sorry, guy two. downplaying this game all week, um, but I will say, and, and I'll just back up Ryan's point, like he's been saying this week, if they win this game, they're going five and three. If they lose this game, they're going three and five. So that's it, how I feel. It, it's just it, it that's as that easy as the rest it is, of the season. right? And if you're five and three, you got you know. And that means they're probably going three and six, three and seven, three and eight, three and nine. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and if you're fi- but rather if you're five and three, you have a chance to go six. six right. You have six well, chances yeah, to get two more wins to get to a bowl. Heck, you get two wins in a row here. You start rolling. Uh, UCLA is not unbeatable. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. we saw them get punched in the mouth last night, and and we've seen Josh Rosen be uh, somewhat prone to making mistakes. So neither is we're getting, USC. We're getting way ahead of ourselves, but yeah, they do start really. I mean. Even if they're not going to win tomorrow, it really, really, really has to be a 60-minute fight, a 60-minute close game where it never, never once gets away from them. And there's a debate whether Arizona or Oregon are a better team, but either way, rather than the Oregon game where it did get away, they need to compete for the full 60. They need to have a great showing. Not a good showing. They need to have a great showing in this game. And I think, you know, as easy as it is to say, it comes down to guys like Seppo Lufau, 
uh, Phil Lindsay, Nelson Spruce uh, making plays, and, and the linebackers on defense in, in, in the secondary holding their position. They, they need their key players to make plays in this game. Well, you know, Shep, you, you mentioned this when, when you and I were on the show two weeks ago on Friday before CU played Oregon. You said for CU to play well and perform well against Oregon, they need to come out and punch them in the mouth early. Colorado didn't do that <laughs> against Oregon. Um, an early fumble by Phil Lindsay, an early pick. Luckily, Akella Witherspoon was able to get a pick in the end zone. That kept a touchdown from, from kind of proverbially blowing that game open. Um, but you also saw a slow start against Arizona State, too. I mean, uh, fluky touchdowns that just happen and, and get this team, get these teams outlaid. And Colorado, I don't know when they're going to learn, if they ever do, but they need to learn how to start fast. I think I, I just I haven't seen it yet. I think there were two different tales for those two games, though, because I think Oregon, they were actually up 14-7 at one point after Shea Fields caught that touchdown. Mm -hmm. they, had, they had a bit of momentum, but I see where you're coming from. Yeah. But Arizona State, I mean, the ball just took a couple of bad bounces. Literally, it did. I mean, we had a fumble, and it got recovered by an Arizona State player. I told this to Joe when we were broadcasting the hockey game live. I was like, are you kidding me? You, you recover yeah. a 35-yard fumble return and then a tipped interception. It, it gets it, – they, they lose another one. It was a tale of two different stories the past two weeks, in my opinion. But at, at the same time, they can't make any mistakes. That's crucial. No careless mistakes. Well, it's, it's as simple as this, and in, in, like you said, with mistakes. Uh, Arizona, 4-0 when they have an interception. 0-2 when they don't have an interception. Colorado, 3-0 and Cepho doesn't throw an interception. 0-3 when he does throw an interception. It's really, I'm starting, like, more and more, I'm starting to feel like football is a game that only one stat matters, and it's turnovers. You said this in your season preview and on the, the BSN, the Stampede podcast or whatever uh, that you do, and you said... Colorado, for them to make a bowl game, needs to be plus four, plus five at the end of the season in the turnover. I think ratio. I said plus ten. So, something like that. Something along those lines. And you're completely right. They just need to keep get winning the turnover battles if they want to win games. It's the only way. It's hard to with that defense, though, with all those injuries. 752 on Radio 1190, KVCU Boulder, Friday Night Live. Ryan Konisberg, Jake Shapiro, Andrew Hovner, Matan Hozell, and Joe Paris here with you on Friday night. Big thanks to Gary Barnett and Brady Quinn for joining us during our, uh, our show here tonight. Uh, before we wrap up, let's go around the horn and let's make everyone pick what the score is going to be oh against boy. Arizona. Uh, Andrew, since you sound so excited... <laughs> Uh, you want to you wanna start thinking? I don't know. RK, you got something? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, 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 I've said this all week. My head tells me that Colorado is going to lose, but I don't pick with my head. I just go with my gut feeling. And my gut feeling says that it just kind of all comes together this week. I've been saying all week that I think Stefo is really going to ball out. Um, I don't know why I have this feeling, but I just I think he has his best game of the season. And I think a lot of it, I guess part of I do know why, it's he's finally back healthy. Um, he's that, that shoulder isn't giving him quite the problems he's had earlier in the season. Um, and I think it comes together for him tomorrow night. I think all the negative media, the negative attention, finally kind of kicks him into a new gear where he He's kind of trying to uh, – he's fueled by the haters, if you will, um, into having a great game. So I think he goes for 350 and three TDs. Wow. And I think the Buffs win 41 to 38, get a couple bounces in their favor for once. See, I, I'm too – I like it. I'm too pragmatic, man. I, I've, I've sat on this show – aside from the Arizona State week, you know, we, we've sat on this show and, and guessed scores and done predictions, and we did it all last year too. And I – 
I'm so hesitant to to pick with my heart because I just I just know that there's something just just something's gonna happen just something that breaks your heart and and makes you wonder why did I pick with my heart in the first place. But with that said, I, with that with that you're said, about to pick Colorado. With that said, Goodness. I'm about to After pick Colorado. All that said. After all that said, <laughs> I tell you, I did, I did. I mean, such as such as my love for this area code, Colorado. Uh, I'm going to give this a 34 to 30 Colorado victory late in the game. See, you know why you suck, Andrew? Why do I It's because suck, I'm over yeah. here trying to think of a prediction, and I'm going, oh, Colorado's going to lose this game 34-31. <laughs> we literally see nice. everything opposite. It's That's... just, it's so, I have Colorado going down to happen? Arizona 34-31. It should be good. It is, but, like, why can't we agree on something? Oh, we can agree on many We can things. agree on, We'd have yes. to go off air for right. I saw, yes. I saw you guys just agreeing on a couple Tinder chicks over there. <laughs> Bumble. Bumble. It's a different uh, I didn't want to have to explain to people what Bumble is. Let me state for What's the record Bumble? that I completely exactly. love my girlfriend who might be listening. Hi, Brooke. <laughs> I love my grandma. <laughs> Hi, Bubby. Who's also listening. Maton, do you have any shout-outs? <laughs> I, I know my family is listening. I love all of my Bumble and Twitter. Tinder matches. <laughs> Maton, do you have a football what? score before this entire show just unravels? While I'm typically an optimist in this area, um, I'll, I'll take the other route just for the sake of making some controversy here. But I'm going to go with a uh, 42 to 31 uh, Arizona. I just, I, I do see this being a close game throughout. But at the end of the game, I think Arizona's just going to run away with it. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, Colorado's not winning this game. Joe, break wow. the tie. Oh, I was going to tell you to break wow. the tie, but no dra- dramaticness two, at all. Two words that for was, you. That off, was totally line. one word. I think it might be t- turnovers. Anticlimactic. Okay. I think it's the linebackers. I've been convi- convinced Injuries. that Colorado's running or, or Arizona's running game is going to run all over Colorado's running. Like, down. here's the thing. I, Arizona, you saw what Oregon did to Colorado, and they're quote unquote healthier. Like Arizona is better than Oregon. All right, you want to hear the, you want to hear the kicker of my prediction? Sure. This game goes into overtime. No. So how does it end? It can't end 34-30 in overtime. I, I want to desperately change it because I <laughs> Actually, have a really yes, it can. Yes, All right, can. fine, change it. Go. No, no it can't. I, it no, can. it could. I mean, it would be 27 27-27 all going yeah. into the game. One field goal, one touchdown. Yep. But I this this feels so much like UCLA last year to me. This game and. I it feels like it's just gonna be on a script the same way that that one kind of went. So the spread is eight for this game. So didn't we all pick under the spread? Mm-hmm. I believe so. Yeah, uh, I was gonna beat the spread. Over. You picked a little bit. You're that Las Joe, Vegas. Joe, what's your what? Did you pick over or under the spread? He didn't pick uh, a number. I, I didn't pick yeah. a number. You want a number? Yeah, I want a number. Sure. How about uh, 38, 28. Okay, so you picked over the spread. Yeah, I did. So three of us have under the spread. So, uh, I but all of us have it within ten points. So yeah. that that means, or you you had it within ten points. Yeah. So all of us think that Colorado's gonna compete in this game and gonna compete for 55, 60 minutes, right? Is that agreeable? I don't. I would argue fifty-five. <laughs> so, but you no. so you have ten points, but you don't think Colorado's gonna be able to compete. I in think this game that the, I think Arizona's gonna pull ahead in the third quarter, and I think Colorado will score once in the fourth quarter to get it within ten. So you think it'll be very similar to the Arizona? Yeah, I think. Oh, it'll sorry, be, sorry, Oregon. Yeah, I think yeah. it'll be. I mean, it'll be virtually the same game, in my opinion. If anything, there's gonna be less energy for this team coming out of the locker room than they did uh, against Oregon. So if anything, it might get out of they hand. They cannot uh, have less energy yeah. at this. You point. You know what? Yeah. I I think a big thing for this game, uh, and hopefully it doesn't rain, is 
that this game won't be on a wet field, and we saw that kind of destroy Colorado's yeah. offense. To start well, I was the believer of weather as the great equalizer, and then I saw the Buffs playing it, and I said, forget it. Like, let's, <laughs> let's just have nice conditions. <laughs> hey, if Mark Johnson's wife makes those red velvet cupcakes again, I will say... There she may, will too. There, there may be a change of heart. That is that is the best thing about being up in that booth. It really is. Mark is Johnson's wife. Say, Mark yeah. Johnson, the play-by-play commentator for 850 KOA. His wife always makes, I think, a few dozen cupcakes for the booth, um, and she makes it to the theme of the opposing team's colors. So against Hawaii, rainbow cupcakes. Uh, against UCLA last year, they were blue and yellow. Against Mass this year, they were red velvet with white Why frosting. Have none of you guys brought me one of these. Cause it's You've a, never asked. It's a secret <laughs> club, Brian. Bring me one, bro. Come up, you gotta come up floor for one. You're allowed to sit right. up there with us. All right, I'll come up there. Come on my broadcast tomorrow. Be a part of the be a part of the sixth floor crew. That sounds so far. It sounds like a haunted house. That's like half scary. It's actually a floor below the seventh floor crew. R- running through the sixth with my journalism bros. Oh. Stop. Never Goodbye. come. Get out Goodbye, of here. Goodbye, broadcast over. Do you realize we have, like, you, we have one minute left. You have no time to redeem yourself. We're going on in a high You have no time to redeem yourself from that. You just left everyone with a bad taste in their Tune in next week to see if Jake Shapiro will redeem himself. We'll be back on Monday. Well, Andrew and Jake will be back on Monday. We'll be calling Colorado Hockey, so make sure to tune into one of those programs or neither. Uh, Ryan, thank you for joining us. Check him out on BSN Denver, BSN Buffs. Find him on Twitter. We got three pieces up today, so soak it up. Soak soak it up. I have two Rockies pieces up in case. You know, I will say, it's really (laughs) impressive that Shapiro is continuing to write Rockies. It's great. I... Good for you. Good for you for sticking with them. Like seriously, <laughs> seriously. Like if they're ever good, you cry when you. BSN write them? Denver. I, I every team, <laughs> every sport, every freaking day. I like that. Except for the Gung lacrosse ho. teams. Mm-hmm. Talk to talk with AJ Hayfield about that. No pro lacrosse on your on your blog. Okay. So we cover that? the sports that. Are more profitable. than fifteen. Oh. Want to read the mammoth? Oh. We'll get the mammoth. I didn't say there's. I didn't say they're not a sport. I said the sports that are profitable. Well, the Rockies That's, are very profitable. They are. <laughs> but, uh, they're not heading in a good direction right now. <laughs> With Ryan Konigsberg, Jake Shapiro, Andrew Hodner, Matano Zell, I'm Joe Paris. Thank you for joining us. Go watch the Blue Jays game. They're trailing three nothing to KC. Or go to the CU hockey game. Or go to the women's volleyball game. Or go to the Hill. Or go to bed. I don't care what you do. You just can't stay here. This is Radio 1190 KVCU Boulder, the AM Revolution.